Hey, Sovereign Tech listeners. Um, so I've got, boy, <laughs> I have a little story for you here um, before we get into the show. The first 30 minutes of this episode, you are going to notice that the audio quality whoo, is very questionable. <laughs> and what I noticed is I, I'm actually, I'm using a, I, I just recently got a new laptop and this is the first time I'm recording uh, on in the studio with this new laptop. And I realized I had a setting way off. And so the my, you know, while everything looked good and sounded good, anyway, there was a fluke that kept me from using the uh, studio microphones. And instead, it ended up using the internal microphone of the laptop. So instead of, and in the interest of time, instead of re-recording the, in, that entire 30-minute segment where I talk about kick-ass torrents and a bunch of other stuff, um, it is here for you as is. <laughs> okay, so the opening of the show, you'll have to pardon the audio quality. But after that 30 minutes, the audio quality is completely up to snuff. But whoo, did that suck? <laughs> so my apologies for the first 30 minutes of this. Uh, but after that, and of course, there will be the Star Wars Rogue One uh, review at the end. All of that is in beautiful, melodious audio quality, thanks to, uh, you, you know, the lovely and hyper-intelligent Dr. Stephanie Murphy's amazing studio. Uh, so anyway, apologies for that. Now, let's get to the show. Woo! Woo! The time is here, baby, because it is Sovereign Tech the Golden Stallion, the Man of Tomorrow, Savzu, the Rated R Radio Star, is ready to get into action. And why waste much time? Because I got a hell of an episode lined up. First off, now this is going to be a little non-traditional. Of course, past few weeks it's been a little non-traditional. But we're not going to have any segments in this one. We're going to do, I've got three hot stories to talk about, and I can't wait to get into them. And then we are going to get into, and I promised it, I, well, I promised it months ago. An entire, the second hour of Sovereign Tech is going to be a full breakdown and review of Rogue One, A Star Wars Story. I caught it Thursday night, myself and the lovely and hyper-intelligent Dr. Stephanie Murphy. Uh, we both saw it. It was uh, 7 p.m. And, uh, you know, right here in beautiful New Hampshire. And, oh, man, <laughs> it is Ice Planet Zero here, baby. <laughs> it's it's snowing. <laughs> It is snowing. It was that Thursday. It was literally negative three, I think, uh, when we went to the theater. It was something else. And I was told that, yeah, I remember getting told this, boy, it was back in like 05, back when episode three came out of Star Wars. They said to me, they said, or people said to me, it'll be a cold day in hell when there's another great Star Wars movie, baby. And guess what? <laughs> I guess they're fucking right, <laughs> because it was a cold day. <laughs> but... Was it a great movie? Well, that's the part that we're going to figure out uh, towards, uh, you know, in the second half of this episode. So, but again, let's get into our main three stories. Uh, I mean, they're really, really something. Now, some of these I had done some uh, some hinting at uh, on various uh, Patreon episodes, which, by the way, if you're not a Sovereign Tech patron, what are you waiting for? All I'm asking for is a dollar a month if you want to do more, and a lot of people do. That's great. Thank you. Uh, but if you don't, if you just want to do the dollar a month, go for it. There are now, there, there's so many, there's so much hours of content that is exclusive only to Sovereign Tech patrons. You want to be a part of this. And, and I mean, there's, there's top eights, there's specials where we're doing reviews of stuff. Uh, there's, there's a Q and A, which you get to, you get access to ask questions. You can ask me anything you want. 
And a lot of them have been, honestly, they've been like philosophy questions, like anarchist philosophy questions, hedonism, all this. Uh, there's also, you know, I mean, just tons of technical questions where I break stuff down. Um, and people are really enjoying these episodes, and I cannot thank you enough. And you get, just in case you didn't know, like, you don't, you will get, when you become a Sovereign Tech patron, you get a unique RSS feed, unique to you. And with that RSS feed, you can put that into your whatever podcast app you use. You can put that into it, and you'll get all of the app or all of the the Patreon only episodes. You can download them and listen to them at two x or whatever you want to do in your favorite podcast app. It's so easy. You really, other than you know, just setting up Patreon initially, which takes seconds. You never have to look at the Patreon page again if you don't want to. Now, you can interact on there. There's this whole community features, and I've had a lot of people, uh, you know, send in stories that way, and there's a messaging feature, which makes it easy to ask me questions and all that. Sure, you can use that, and you can listen to the episodes right on there, too, if you want. But if you really just want to, you can just get that custom RSS feed, and it'll be, literally, it'll only work for you. Um, and then, and, and away you go. So become a Sovereign Tech patron, please, if you've yet to, uh, you know, it definitely helps out the show. We've already got quite a few people, and we have various stretch goals that we're trying to reach through, or various reward levels, I guess you could say, that we're trying to reach uh, through Patreon. Uh, so thank you to those that are already patrons. But anyway, if you haven't been, you miss out on, like, some of the, perhaps some of the nuance uh, that comes up. And, and and some of this has already been previewed to a degree, but I want to talk about these stories. Uh, these are very, one of them is very exciting. The other two are honestly, they're real downers. <laughs> so we're going to need to talk Star Wars just to get back up. But, <laughs> but, but one of them, I'm not going to do it. There's, there's going to be no foreplay. Uh, because you know we're just we're gonna go right to the orgasm right here, <laughs> and this is this is exciting to me. I think it was either just yesterday or the day before. Let's see, yeah, so it was yesterday. It was the sixteenth. Um, but here I'll, I'll read the headline right from uh, right from Torrent Freak here. Kickass torrents brought back to life by original staffers. Woo party! Can you beat this stuff, baby? The thing's like a New York cockroach. You can't kill it. It just keeps coming back every year, every time. And I just thought that this was so cool. Now, you know, as exciting as it is that Kick-Ass Torrance is back, and I'm going to give you more on the story about what happened with Kick-Ass Torrance, um, I will say out of the gate that if you remember, because we talked about it, uh, uh, you know, a couple months back, or when it, it was a few months back now when it initially happened, um, Artem Volin, who is the alleged, uh, you know, site runner of, of Kick-Ass Torrance, um, he is still, now as far as I know, he has not been extradited, extradited to the U.S., which is what they're shooting for. Um, he is still being held by Polish authorities. And as far as I understand it, he is also now, he's actually in the hospital uh, due to back issues, um, which, you know, let's let's be clear here, like, is that some kind of like a scheme to keep him from getting extradited because he's, you know, he has a medical issue and is being held in a medical facility and understand he's like watched by cops and security and all that, you know, in this hospital. Um, is that a possibility? Well, I'm just saying that, that that's a theory uh, that's out there, but regardless um, let's talk about the story, and then I want to talk more about Artem Volin, but I just want you to know, you know that I am aware of that situation. Uh, regardless, I mean, it, it's terrible no matter what, no matter the, the medical condition, uh, no matter anything. I mean, this guy was just running a torrent site, you know, and, and, and <laughs> hell came down upon him, uh, hell in the shape of the, the MPAA, which actually, that's proven 
Um, before before we talk about the site coming back up, uh, this was a story. Interestingly, just uh, this was just announced a day before the site came back up. This is really important, I think, to bring up. And this is also from Torn Freak, and that is the MPAA takes credit for the shutdown of Kickass Torrent. So uh, let's read a little bit about this. Earlier this year, of course, being 2016, Kickass Torrents was taken down following a criminal investigation into the site's alleged operators. While the U.S. Department of Justice handles the case based on the, an FBI investigation, they were not the only ones involved. According to comments made by MPAA boss Chris Dodd, Hollywood played a crucial role as well. I'll read a little bit of the story here. Um, this, this summer, the U.S. government shut down Kickass Torrents, which was then the largest torrent site on the Internet. The complaint was the result of an elaborate FBI investigation pointing out that a Ukrainian Artem Volin as one of the uh, alleged masterminds. However, it turns out it wasn't just the U.S. government who put the pieces together. There's another major force behind the shutdown that's been meant, that hasn't been mentioned thus far. MPAA boss Chris Dodd suggested... It, of course, the MPAA Motion Motion Picture Association of America. These are the guy. You know, this is the guild that you know effectively handles you know almost all movies you know that you see in or pretty much all the movies that you see in theaters, at least in the U.S. Uh, suggests Chris Dodd suggests that the Hollywood group also played a key role in the case. Their international arm, the MPA, is headquartered in Europe, from where it actively helped the U.S. authorities to shut down kick-ass torrents. Quote, we have now established a global hub and office in Brussels. It has been tremendously successful in closing down kick-ass torrents, the single largest pirate site in the world, end quote. Dodd told Variety uh, in an interview. The major movie studios have helped in similar criminal cases before, so this doesn't come as a complete surprise. Generally speaking, however, the MPAA is not particularly open about the role it plays in federal investigations. Although the takedown of kick-ass torrents was a major success for Hollywood, piracy remains a problem. It's even come to a point where Dodd himself is using the Hydra terminology, which the Pirates Bay, uh, Pirate Bay's crew first brought up a decade ago. The MPAA says that, su that successes are still being booked every day, but they require more sophisticated methods than were used in the past. Quote, we make great inroads, but it is a problem that isn't going away. Some days I do feel it is hydra-headed, but in the past few years, we have developed a more sophisticated and efficient way of dealing with piracy issues. Well, I'll stop reading right there. All links are in the show notes for episode 204, but guess what, Chris Dodd? Woo! You, you didn't beat him! Kick-ass Torrance is back, baby! Woo! What are you going to do now? Now I want to, before we get into about Kick-Ass Torrents coming back, I just want to say this, like, so, so many of this shit, you know, it's really so much that happens in the digital world, in the digital realm, much like torrenting and all this, like the arguments used against uh, a lot of these advancements in technology and new ways to, shall we say, share content, you know, or, or I mean, just, just for anything, it's not just about torrenting, you know, it, it goes for all kinds of, of arguments, Okay. You know, it's it's really old arguments dressed in new clothes. Like the arguments against torrenting, it, I I I implore you to look up cases of the MPAA against guess what the VCR. Right? I mean, when's the last time you even thought about a VCR? The VCR back in you know in in the eighties was by many quotes of heads of the MPAA was considered the greatest threat to like, I mean, and they would lay it out as in like, you know, there's going to be crack babies on the streets and VCRs become a thing. You know, there's going to be, I mean, it's just going to be madness. There's going to be Nazis everywhere. Well, I guess there's still those, uh, but uh, you know, there's all this madness is going to happen. If you unleash the VCR upon the world, 
And now they just took all those tired arguments, which understand, you know, <laughs> the, the movie industry wasn't hurting because of VCRs, right? I mean, it really, really wasn't. And people were making copies of VCRs right and left. I mean, entire industries built up around the VCR. And again, the movie industry really didn't hurt for it. In fact, the movie industry was having some of its strongest years when VCR technology was really at its height. You know, you think 87, uh, 98, 92. I mean, there, like there's a bunch of years that you can count off that were, I mean, just banner years uh, for you know, for, for the movie industry. And it was at the height of technologies that allowed people to record a lot of this stuff. And so to say that torrents is somehow hurting them. I mean, we know that's not true. If Hollywood just releases a good movie, people will pay to go see it. So, you know, these arguments and all the shit from Chris Dodd, I mean, it's, it's bullshit across the board because one is that the movie industry really isn't hurting. And two, they're, you know, they're not beating anybody. Kick-Ass Torrents came back a day after this story came out. I think that's, I mean, there might have been some creative timing on that. I wouldn't be shocked. Okay, but <laughs> everything's timing. Uh, but, you know, I mean, that that's really important to bring up. So I, I just, I get, you get so sick of these arguments where people act like, you know, these things are somehow new. I mean, yes, there are, you know, I think a lot of, well, it's not really new because I was what I was going to say was, is that really, you know, digital content, you know, just, just, stands in stark contrast and really slaps the face of the idea of intellectual property showing how ridiculous it is. But let's be, let's be clear here. Intellectual property is ridiculous with or without digital content. Like that whole, that whole concept, that whole notion is, is just, is pure madness and has been re, you know, regularly disregarded by entire governments whenever they see fit. You know, you think of, uh, you know, during World War One or even pre-World War One. you know, Britain and America. Britain just completely disregarded IP law from America. They didn't care. They copied everything they could. Uh, I, you know, then there's plenty of other cases where that's true, too. So I get tired of these old arguments and new clothes. Um, say, I mean, same thing with, like, simulation theory, right? The idea that, that you live in a computer simulation or that we all live in a computer simulation and... Like, it, it's so ridiculous. I mean, this is just, it's its an old theological argument. It's like trying to prove God and they're just putting it into new clothes. It's nonsense. Like, you, you, as soon as you dissect the argument, you realize what it is. It is just a bunch of people, you know, really on another spiritual quest. When, look, folks, there's no spirituality. There's no supernaturality. There's, there's no, it, there's no God. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Be it a computer or otherwise. So anyway, I get tired of these old arguments, but that's not what I'm here to talk about. I'm here to talk about how the fact that, guess what? Look who's back, baby, kick-ass torrents. And admittedly, right now, as it stands, as far as I've seen, it is very difficult to get to the site, and it is probably under attack. Uh, it's under a DDoS attack at the moment. In fact, I think that's a that's a fact. I just got a, a message from a Sovereign Tech listener, um, great guy, that, that it, it appears um, that kick-ass torrents is under DDoS right now. Now... Who do you imagine that DDoS is from? Could it be from this new global effort by the MPAA itself? Ooh. Yeah, probably. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's not like, an, why would Anonymous want to take down kick-ass torrents? I mean, come on. Unless someone's going to make some kind of argument that, oh, it's back and it's a honeypot, blah, 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 which it's not. Because, as the story said that we're about to read here, it's actually being run by the original staffers who 
Well, let, let's read the story and, and then we'll talk more about it. A few months ago, a criminal investigation by the U.S. government brought down Kick-Ass Torrent's largest torrent site at the time. As a result, millions of people were left without their favorite torrent site. This included a very active community of admins, moderators, and forum members. Shortly after the shutdown, several cat crew members, cat being Kick-Ass Torrents, regrouped in an effort to get the community part of the site back up. That's what I was just about to share with you. Um, they launched the, and this is the URL, catcr.co. So catcr.co forum as their new home and hinted that torrents could come back to in the future. Uh, so I'm going to stallion breaking in here for a second. So yeah, very quickly, there were, there were a lot of mirrors of kick-ass torrents for one. And, and those worked. I mean, they started getting taken down, you know, pretty quickly as well. Um, but at catcr.co, there was like a community forum and all that stuff, you know, kind of put together and it was put together by people trusted in the community. Like people that that you could re- pretty much verify were original staffers um, for you know for Kickass Torrents uh, you know for the original cat.cr right so catcr.co um, you know has been a site that's been around for a while it's not one that just came up and now suddenly it's getting attacked once it reactivates uh, torrent features I mean if it was anybody other than the NPAA you know shut it off you know shut it off before it even restarted. Like it does, it really doesn't make sense. So I, I'm I'm inclined to believe that that's that's who's engaged in this. Uh, but anyway, let's read on some here. Today is the big day as CatCR.co or CatCR has now launched a fully operational torrent site. Which <laughs> that's like talking about the Death Star. This is fully operational battle station, <laughs> which looks identical uh, to its predecessor. The site starts with a clean user database, but many members of the original staff are on board. The majority of our, quote, the majority of our original staff, admins, and moderation team joined us after uh, cat.cr went down, which is something we're very proud of. This shows the loyalty, dedication, and real love for cat that we all, kick-ass torrents, of course, that we all share. Um, End quote. At the original cat, uh, site administrators and crew were clearly separated from those who technically and financially ran the place. This means that the people in charge of CatCR didn't have access to the original code and data. Still, they managed to put together bits and pieces to make it look identical. So former cat users should feel right at home. Um, and they have some screenshots on this uh, link so you can see that it looks exactly... Because admittedly, like I, for, for a brief second, was I able to even see it uh, that morning. Like... Because afterwards, you know, the site was was constantly down and, you know, you're getting waiting messages and all that. Uh, reading on, perhaps just as importantly, many of the site's renowned uploaders are, uploaders are also back. As a result, the site will be populated with a lot of fresh content right from the start. Quote, we have all our major uploaders on board and they have continued to share tirelessly even before the torrent engines returned. The torrent community can continue to expect to see uploads from all the names they know and trust, end quote, the CatCR crew says. Now, Stallion breaking in again. Um, I don't know if this will be true for Nemesis 43, who is kind of like the main person that I, I follow around <laughs> as far as torrent sites go. Uh, Nemesis 43 is the person that uploads a lot of your comic books on Wednesdays in all this. Uh, and, you know, they, they have, I mean, I'll put this out there now. I was going to mention it later, but um, worldwidetorrents.eu, which is a site I've talked about. Uh, originally, I mentioned it to Patreon uh, Sovereign Tech patrons. And then I also, you know, mentioned it to, to uh, the Sovereign Tech audience abroad. Um, this, so WorldwideTorrents.eu looks like, I mean, it is, as I understand, it was kind of started by Nemesis 43. 
and it's still out there. It's still happening. There's a lot of great stuff on it. It's certainly not at the level of, um, of say like what kick-ass torrents was originally, or even of a pirate bay. But if you're looking for, particularly if you're looking for books or comic books, it's in my opinion, it's still the best torrent site on the internet right now. Um, I mean, it, it just, what it makes available is, is phenomenal. Um, not even so much audiobooks, literally like text-based stuff, which is a great thing to concentrate on because none of these require, you know, massive gigs and, you know, and all that like movies do, or, you know, even ma- a larger amount of megs, you know, that discographies and albums would, would call for. Uh, so, you know, to start off with that, because WorldwideTorrents.eu is such a new site, uh, makes a lot of sense. Um, so anyway, that, that, that's, that's a site to, to keep in mind. Um, when, when you're looking around on this sort of thing. Um, but anyway, let, let's read on here more. Uh, putting everything, quote, putting everything together took quite a bit of time, but the team wanted to make sure that everything is secure, which they are confident is the case now. In order to keep our members safe, we chose to rebuild and keep only safe elements. Despite the fact that a rebuild took longer, the safety of our community comes first, end quote, the Cat CR crew told us. Stanley breaking in, right fucking on. Yes, get this shit right instead of having a bunch of fancy features. Uh, Reading on, while some might see it as a bold move to relaunch a site whose alleged operators are still wanted by the U.S. government, uh, that's the aforementioned Artem Ballin we mentioned, the current staff sees no major legal issues ahead. They point out that the site has a proper DMCA takedown procedure, just like YouTube, adding that they don't store any copyrighted material on the site's servers. Quote, Cat is a community-based forum in a torrent search engine. It's the heart of who we are, and that will never change. Despite opinions to the contrary, torrents or are not illegal, and we do not host any content. So long as Kick-Ass Torrents continues to operate uh, to the absolute letter of the law, then we are almost certainly not conducting criminal activities, end quote, they note. In a similar vein, the Cat CR crew uh, believes that the original operators... Uh, operators of the site will walk free. Stanley breaking in, that's good fucking news. Reading on, quote, we strongly believe the investigation carried out by Homeland Security and the IRS is unlawful in basis targeting a foreign citizen and prosecuting them under U.S. law. We have every confidence in the outcome of the pending legal action, end quote, they say. Over the past many uh, past months, many cat copies and mirrors emerged claiming to be the real reincarnation. In reality, the original site is still gone, but with many old staffers and uploaders on board, cat CR might have some legs. Uh, And then there's a couple updates here. Some of these, actually, I didn't see until just now. Um, Update. The site appears to have some technical issues as it went down after a short while. Um, Another update. Cat CR's Mrs. Smith says that the overwhelming amount of traffic is causing the current issues. Quote, we've had a massive response from the torrent community. Unfortunately, the servers are having difficulty balancing the load of the absolutely huge amount of users online at the same time. Tech are on it and will no doubt have it sorted out as soon as possible. On the positive, this is an absolutely overwhelming response to our excellent article, so thank you very much to you and your team, end quote. And, of course, the referencing Torrent Freak. Uh, Yeah, so as I understand it right now, it is confirmed that there is a DDoS attack. I mean, certainly there was the load of, like, a lot of new users jumping on board, and this is an incredibly new site, uh, you know, catcr.co. Um, so that that is great. I mean, that is great to have such a fantastic response and for people to be willing to take the risk and, you know, to go forward saying, no, we will torrent, we will continue, you know, we are going to support this. Um, I think that's absolutely wonderful. Uh, and I mean, you know, as far as them having like a takedown notice now, some people are like, oh, now they're playing with the letter of the law. Well, Kick-Ass Torrents itself, in fact, I, I talked about it on Sovereign Tech, this is probably a year ago. Um, I When I started noticing, that they were uh, doing takedowns. 
on you know that the original uh, Kick-Ass Torrance team again this is over a year ago and it was taken down this summer um, they started complying with like DMCA takedown requests where they were saying okay yep we'll take down this we'll take down this and you really had to be quick and a lot of people got to the point to where they're refreshing the page multiple times a day because they knew that as soon as say like a you know a really high quality um, you know a copy of a movie came up that they would have to you know they'd have to click that magnet link right away and get it downloaded, you know, because otherwise, you know, inside of, you know, maybe minutes, um, they could be ordered to, you know, by through a DMCA request to that kick-ass torrents would take the, you know, take the, the torrent down or at least the torrent link down or the magnet link. Um, so that's not really new. Um, you know, this was something that, and, and it really, obviously, I mean, up until, you know, this summer, I think everybody could pretty much say it did not really affect, um, you know, the, 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 just the power and content of kick-ass torrents. Um, so I'm not too, I'm not sweating about that. Like, and, and I get why they want to play, you know, the little legalese game. Um, but, uh, th- this is, this is really exciting. And I just love the fact, I mean, it's, it's certainly, it's not as epic as like, I mean, I remember, you know, a decade ago or so. Yeah. It was probably just about a decade ago. Cause it might, it was it 07 or something like that. No, couldn't have been. It was, maybe it was 08, whatever. It was about a decade ago when there was that initial, um, raid, on pirate bay servers and like literal raid where they went in you know you know a, a special forces team well i think it was more like a a swat team <laughs> as far as you know, as far as things go um you know in, in europe um you know went in there you know police forces and they 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 tore down like they literally took the servers i mean they, they thrashed the place and then within 24 hours Pirate Bay servers were back up in Egypt, <laughs> like inside of 24 hours. And I just remember I was talking to a good friend of mine at the time. And I, just, I mean, we like, we high-fived each other. We're like, yeah, fuck yeah. Because <laughs> you know, that was just so cool, you know, to, to be like that, that unstoppable, you know. And so even though this took a little while, um, I think that's okay. And, and obviously the community is, and all is very resourceful for a lot of this stuff. Um, there are already lots of talks in the, in the torrent community of how can we take advantage of technologies, uh, say like, uh, you know, zero net, which is something that are people are already jumping on board with. How can they take advantage of, you know, a lot of these alternative, uh, uh, you know, I, I guess I'll say web infrastructures cause they're not really alternative internet infrastructures where it's like, you know, new hardline or anything. Um, but that, you know, that that's happening, but until that sort of stuff comes up, I mean, getting, you know, building up the community and showing that, Hey, everybody's in for the long haul and that the MPAA, the U S government and every other goddamn government around the world can't win against us or, you know, what the, the community as a whole. Good. That's a message that needs to get sent. That way, you know, there, there's there's confidence and there's a willingness, you know, to, to jump on with a lot of these new technologies. I think it's great. Uh, so, that, I mean, just a very happy story. And I hope that the, you know, the the, uh, the guys running, cat, you know, the staffers at CatCR, I hope that they are absolutely right in the fact that Arden Ballen is going to get set free, that, you know, this isn't going to be an issue because no laws were effectively broken. Um, I mean, it's going to be questionable as far as, you know, what exactly, how do they handle, because I, I think what, the easy case that gets made for people outside of the torrent community, why CAT CR had to go down is what they can say is 
you know, they get away from the argument of, is it okay, is it ethical to torrent, to share files, right? Because that, that's really all you're doing is just sharing files. They, they get away from that, that argument because they'll lose that argument as soon as you break it down. And they say, this person was making, you know, millions and millions of dollars a year in ad revenue and donations and whatever else. And he was sharing our stuff. You know, or they, he, they, right? So that's, that's where they make it look like, okay, no, something really wrong is being done here. When even that, I mean, when you break that down, you know, obviously there's nothing wrong. What? So they ran ads. So they put a Bitcoin address, you know, in, in, in various links. I mean, so the fuck what, right? Like, are you going to really legislate against people being able to do that? I mean, <laughs> not that I want any kind of legislation. I'm an anarchist, but like, if you were really going to start, um, <laughs> you know, if, if, if the government was going to start going after people for having ads on their website, I, I mean, you've got a lot of fish to fry and you're going to wreck entire economies. Forget about the motion picture. Uh, you're, you know, the, forget about Hollywood. You're going to wreck the entire news industry if you tried to do that. So anyway, I don't think they want to, you know, I, they just as well, people kind of forget about Artem Wallen and all this, but you know, that's another real advantage. I think that's another like kind of, kind of side piece, another benefit of kick-ass torrents coming back is that it, it very, in a lot of people's minds, it reopens the case saying, Hey, guess what? You know, I mean, again, again, Artem Wallen is alleged, but regardless, look, we've got people that are getting penalized that are, you know, behind bars or in the hospital under armed guard for, you know, running this site. And it reminds everybody about this. So I, I think, I think that's great. So best of luck to catcr.co. Um, you know, I hope technical issues get worked out, the DDoS attack gets solved, and, and whatever else is going on. Um, and, you know, Gospiel, <laughs> as they say, <laughs> around the world. But, uh, yeah, so that, just very exciting. I love it. I, I just, I love these stories where, you know, you it's so plain that the government just cannot handle this. And, and all these, you know, even authoritarians like the MPAA, shit. God damn it, we've been <laughs> foiled again. <laughs> yeah. It's so cool. Anytime I get to talk about that kind of stuff on Sovereign Tech, very exciting. Uh, so anyway, let's move on to another story that's really not so exciting, uh, but nonetheless, I think very important. And that's why, as you heard at the very beginning of this episode, whew, you do not do a podcast on a laptop microphone. Oh, great Satan. <laughs> My apologies. So, but there was just a lot of important content in there. Didn't want to have to, you know, really didn't think doing another take would have, would have helped. Um, so let's get into, uh, the second story, uh, for this week. Uh, you know, th I mean, that happens. I mean, shit, I, I can only think that, that this kind of issue has ever occurred yeah, before I get into the story with sovereign tech it's only occurred maybe two three times out of four years you know out of almost actually all told like 300 episodes not bad <laughs> even though this is episode 204 really with all the specials and patreon stuff i've done uh it adds up to pretty i, I think it's over 300 now uh but well, there you have it. Anyway, um, all right, let, let us really get into another one of our stories this week, and then we've got one more we're going to get into, and then, whoo, it's baby, it's on for some Star Wars Rogue One. And I know all you sweaties out there have been asking, have been dying. In fact, I've been saying, don't worry, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cover it. I saw the movie, I'm going to cover it. 
Uh, and actually it's going to be a very unique one because I also listened to the audiobook. Woo. Days before it was supposed to come out. It was supposed to, what the audiobook wasn't supposed to be out till the 20th. Yeah. Who's got you covered, baby. Uh, so no one else is going to talk about what I talked about guaranteed. So you're going to want to stick around for that rogue one review. Uh, spoiler filled too, by the way. Um, uh, so, you know, you'll want to stop at the music. Um, but actually, no, you know what, before we, I get into, uh, before I get into our next story, I do want to take a moment to thank one of our sponsors, of course, that being agoristhosting.com, A-G-O-R-I-S-T hosting.com. Um, if you are, if you're an activist, if you're a business, small business, individual organization, whatever, whoever you are, frankly, whoever you are, if you want a web hosting, uh, you know, if you want to work with a web host that actually gives a shit about you. Okay. And understands, you know, the, like the need for privacy, the need for security, you know, the need for, Hey, you know, maybe there's some groups out there that don't have your best interest at heart, even though they claim otherwise, I want you to go to agoristhosting.com. They are your best friends on the internet. Believe me. Okay. They have great pricing. I mean, they, they really do for the amount of customer service they give you. It's great pricing. Okay. I mean, and they're going to give you that personal touch that you lose when you're dealing with some of these other companies that, well, you know, some of the, perhaps the more, the larger ones that, uh, you know, are maybe a little more automated. And this is a case where that is not a good thing. So you want to be dealing with, uh, agoristhosting.com also. And this is really slick. If you want to say, start a business in a real free market, like open bazaar, you want to be working with agoristhosting.com because they actually, they do open bazaar better effectively than open bazaar itself does. Now, what I mean by that is, is that they will do backups. They will help you set up your store. They will make the login process and the use process of open bazaar and all that as a business, they will make it easier than the raw software itself allows for. Uh, it is really, really something I've checked it out. It is slick. I mean, you, you want to be on board with this. It's amazing what they offer. And of course, the beautiful thing is, is that they are absolutely a Bitcoin preferred business. Okay. And they, they, you know, there's no, and when I say Bitcoin preferred, they're not dealing with, you know, third parties to, to help out with their payment gateway or anything. They are, and I know the guys over at Agorist Hosting, they have built Bitcoin into their business structure from the ground up, from their infrastructure to their business structure. It's all there. And so, I mean, this is who you want to be working with, especially if you're in the Bitcoin space, no doubt about it, uh, or the crypto economy in general. So agoristhosting.com. Com. They, I mean, they do automatic backups by continental. Okay. I mean, they've got the, they've got your hookup. You want to be dealing with them as far as a web host. I love them. Uh, so agoristhosting.com. And I cannot thank them enough for being a sponsor of sovereign tech. And if you do go with them, you know, feel free to, to email me with, you know, like how, how with your story, with how it got set up with them. I'd love to hear it. Uh, so anyway, agoristhosting.com. And thank you again for supporting sovereign tech. Um, okay. Now, talk about an online business that doesn't give a shit about your privacy. <laughs> well, at least at first it seems that there's been an update to the story that I will get into, but I want to first talk about what happened uh, initially. And here's here's a story actually from Lifehacker. Evernote employees can read your notes and there's no way to opt out. Ooh, what's going on? Now, this story is from this past Wednesday. So that would have been what, December 15th, 14th? Uh, I think it'd be the 14th. 2016. And let's read it here. 
Evernote just posted an update to its privacy policy that details how the company will make use of some new machine learning tools. In order for those tools to work, Evernote will need to allow a human review of your notes. And that's not the only reason an employee would look at your notes. In a recent update to its privacy policy set to go into effect on January 23rd, 2017, Evernote lays out how their machine learning technology will work, which most notably includes the fact that human review is simply is quote, human review is simply unavoidable, end quote. The machine learning analyzes your notes, then provides a number of features, including improved search, learning how you use Evernote, then showing you data specific to how you use it, and even detecting if you're doing something like making a list, then suggesting different features. In order to make sure their technology is operating as it's supposed to, employees will need to look at the content of some notes. This does not mean all Evernote employees will have access to this data, but it does mean some will. Evernote allows you to opt out of machine learning technologies uh, next to, quote, allow Evernote to use my data to improve my uh, experience, end quote. But Twitter user uh, Adrian Busk highlights the fact that opting out doesn't exactly get you anywhere in regards to the other reasons employees might look at your notes. Now, I want to stop there for a second. Stallion breaking in. So every time that you, not every time, a lot of times when you get that little checkbox, like say when you first install something, or if you're looking through perhaps the settings on an app or something like that, and it says, allow such and such app to use my data to improve my experience. Often enough, that is whatever the app or software is at or service asking you, can we put an algorithm, machine learning, or even employees looking at, can we set that up to look at your data? That's, that's what that means. OK, now, usually, I mean, initially when that sort of thing was asked for, it was just like can we, it was more more or less asking, can we just send telemetry like, say, crash data and some other things, which is now a separate checkbox. But that used to be, you know, could we send this telemetry to the business? You know, that way we know what happened or, you know, we can get an idea on how you're using something or when something fails. Like, what is your machine? You know, what what is your uh, what is the makeup of your computer? Uh, you know, make model, all that good stuff. Um but now it's something far more. Now, as you can see with Evernote, it's all about, hey, can we scan every little single goddamn thing you do? And could we potentially have our employees look at it? Right. So uh, let's see. What did uh, Adrian Busk say on uh, on Twitter here? We uh, we have it. It says, um, while while we he's he, this is a direct quote from the privacy policy that is going to be going that was going to be going in effect in January. Uh, again, there is an update to this that, that we're going to get to that's important. While we think machine learning is a great tool that will help you get the most out of your Evernote experience, we understand that being Evernote, that not everyone feels the same way. If you would prefer to opt out of machine learning technologies on your content, uh, including some which require some human review for for oversight uh, per, for oversight purposes, you can do so in your accounts settings where it says, quote, allow Evernote to use my data to improve my experience, end quote. If you do opt out, however, you may not be able to get the most out of your Evernote experience. And please note that, and here's the important part, you cannot opt out of employees looking at your content right in the privacy policy. For other reasons stated in our privacy policy under this section, quote, does Evernote share my personal information or content, question mark, end quote. So there it is. You cannot opt out of employees looking at your content. Reading on. According to the privacy policy, Evernote employees can look at the content of your notes. And here's the list. If they believe you're violating a TOS, Terms of Service, for troubleshooting purposes or to, quote, maintain and improve the service, end quote, if they deem it necessary to protect the rights, property, or personal safety of Evernote and its users, 
to comply with legal obligation obligations like warrants, court orders, subpoenas, or other government requests. Now, of course, stallion breaking in that last one uh, doesn't, I mean, like no shock, right? That they'll look at it if, if they have to comply with a, you know, a warrant of some kind. Of course, uh, I don't think anybody's surprised by that. But let's read on here. If you're worried about the content of your notes falling under the eyes of an employee or through a government request, you can always encrypt them so even employees can't read them. But it's still an off-putting practice for some people. And there's a link in the show notes for how to do that. I also put a link in the show notes for um, for how to get, like, what are the alternatives to Evernote, the good alternatives. I mean, of course, OneNote comes up um, along with some, and like Apple Note, along with some others. OneNote is actually fully featured and really can match, and in some ways even best uh, Evernote feature for feature. Um, but you know, there, there's alternatives and how you can like actually transfer it all say to, to an alternative and all that. Uh, so I put that in there for you because we believe in solutions on sovereign tech, but reading on, thankfully it's pretty easy to pick up and leave Evernote. If you're not a fan of the new privacy policy, that policy is worth a closer look if you're an Evernote user. So make sure you read and decide how you feel about it. Um, and anyway, so then there was, so what happened was interestingly, there's been, there have been two two major updates that have come out of this. First off, this, there was this update, which is, which was within like the same day, within the same 24 hours. Again, this was on Wednesday, the 14th of December, 2016. Evernote CEO, Chris O'Neill responded to concerns with a blog post. Here are the bits that concern the machine learning issue directly. Quote, the number of employees who are authorized to view this content is extremely limited by our existing policies. And I am personally involved in defining them. Uh, select, Evernote employees may see random content to ensure the features are working properly, but they won't know who it belongs to. They'll only see the snippet they're checking. Not only that, but if a machine identifies any personal information, it will mask it from the employee. Um, and then there's another update, and this actually takes us to a whole other story, which I also put uh, into um, into the show notes. And this one's actually from Android Police instead of Life Lifehacker. Now, before I get into that, there was as soon as I saw this story, I was like, okay, there's a very simple solution to all this. You know, I mean, the employee thing is never is isn't really going to get solved so much. But as far as like you know, the machine learning aspect of it and all that, here's the simple thing: make it opt in instead of opt out. That is always every single way that companies deal with this sort of shit. It should, you know, anytime a new feature comes out, it really should be, I mean, you can bring up a little, you know, a little notification bubble or something. Okay. That says, Hey, would you like to set up this? But you know, really it should be opt out or opt in at all times that in, that means it shouldn't by default, it should be opt out by default. The checkbox should be unchecked. It's a very simple solution to all this in every fucking business with every fucking feature, you know, should, should have, should have that set up that way, unless it's a security feature, say like with a messaging software where it has like, it's using X lotl or I mean, uh, you know, the, the signal protocol, then that should be automatically on because that is about, you know, that is about how can we make things more secure, more secret? Yes. Then you want to turn that on. Okay. Uh, you know, but otherwise, anytime you get like new features like this, or, you know, you're adding a machine learning or for fuck's sake, employees of the company are taking a look at it. Yeah. It, you should have to check a box to say whether or not you want that. Like it should not be turned on automatically because that's revealing user data instead of protecting it. 
And don't tell me in the long run that it's about protecting you. That's that that's bullshit. <laughs> that's the part the the part about the long run of making sure that everything's operating. That's the part that you can't even opt in or opt out of. That's the part that uh, that the CEO was talking about, where he said that look, you know, these are the things that that employees will always be looking at, even though they don't know who the employee is. Well, hopefully that's true. That's great if it's somehow anonymous. I understand that. Okay, even that could be problematic, but because I mean, you know, putting pictures and whatever else in Evernote, um, but. Yeah, that's the part that's about security. The other part about machine learning, I mean, that that's ridiculous, you know. So anyway, let's let's uh, follow up the story here, and then there's certainly more to say. Um, Evernote, here it is from Android Police. Evernote backtracks on new privacy policy, uh, makes machine learning opt in. Oh, look, they, they they implemented the right feature, the way to or they implemented it pr- correctly. Read a little bit here in a not so shocking turn of events. And this was like, uh, let's see, when was this story posted? This was December 15th. So this is just a day later, like later that night or, you know, a day later at at nighttime Um, in a not so shocking turn of events. Evernote has reversed its privacy policy stance that I wrote about earlier. Uh, The company is not going to implement it and will instead make machine learning and human review opt in, you know, the way it should have been from the get go. The CEO, Chris O'Neill, attempted to offer some clarification earlier that day, which I found to be weak and ineffective. Evernote's policy stated that employees would be able to read user content, which the CEO then clarified to mean snippets. Well, that whole thing about specially trained engineers reviewing the accuracy of the algorithms with your notes is getting scrapped, sort of. This new policy will be opt-in instead of the non-negotiable it was before. This is what should have been done in the first place, Evernote, which, Stanley breaking in, exactly what I said. Uh, reading on, O'Neill flat admitted that his company messed up big time with this one. Not to beat a dead horse here, but Evernote really did not think this through too well. His words were in the blog post, uh, in the blog post fit the situation perfectly. Quote, this is directly from the CEO, uh, from Chris O'Neill. We announced a change to our, our privacy policy that made it seem like we didn't care about the privacy of our customers or their notes. This was not our intent and our customers let us know that we messed up in no uncertain terms. We heard them and we're taking immediate action to fix it. We are excited about what we can offer Evernote customers. Thanks to the use of machine learning, but here's the big part, but we must ask for permission, not assume we have it. We're sorry we disappointed our customers and we are reviewing our entire privacy policy because of this. So we'll see what happens out of that, but right on, but we must ask quote, but we must ask for permission, not assume we have it. How about that? A little consumer facing for once because people open their goddamn mouths and say, Whoa, Evernote, what the hell are you doing with my data? Good. Right on. But let's read a little bit more here. I like this, stage, this statement much more than the one he posted earlier today, which we, we had just read. This one shows that he is taking responsibility and is trying to put everyone at ease. While I know some users made an exodus from the service, perhaps this might convince some to come back. The company has once again reiterated its dedication to its users' security. It is committed to, one, Evernote employees do not and will not read your notes without your express permission. Two, Evernote uh, complies with the law in ways that keep the privacy of our consumer our customer data paramount. And three, our, quote, three laws of data protection, end quote, remain intact. Your data is yours. It is protected and it is portable. So that's it. We have uh, seen Evernote make a stupid mistake, try to dismiss it, then do a total 180. Be sure to check out the blog post or updated uh, help page for more information if you're so inclined. Now, a couple points I want to bring up about this, okay, before we get into another story. First is that, I mean, yes, this, it is refreshing 
to see that you really can, the market can speak. You can make a big enough stink to where the company is going to be like, holy shit, we're going to, I mean, probably, you know, we're going to lose people. Probably what happened and Evernote's already in enough financial trouble. Probably what happened is that they started seeing the mass exodus and they're like, well, it doesn't matter what a few people are saying on Twitter because you can't trust what people are saying on Twitter really anyway. Okay. It doesn't matter what they're saying there. What's you know, what we are seeing the numbers that people are leaving in droves. People are downloading their data and they are running away and they are doing so fast. Woo. And so they change things. Now, here's the thing is that they're reviewing it. They said that they're aware that this is a problem and that they want to stand up for, for all of this. So we don't know exactly what the privacy policy is going to end up looking like. I still wouldn't blame you. And again, I put a link in the show notes for how to do this. I still wouldn't blame you for wanting to get all of your shit off of Evernote right now. Or doing the encryption trick, which there's a link in the show notes for that as well as how to encrypt your data that you put onto Evernote. It's a little bit of a task, granted. Um, and I'm not saying OneNote like that you should trust Microsoft more than more than you trust Evernote. Okay, uh, I mean other than the fact that Microsoft certainly has, you know, I I would have envisioned a much better, uh, you know, shall we say, security culture or you know, security implementation than uh, you know than Evernote does, just by default for a lot of reasons. Okay. But I'm not saying to go trust one note or even Apple note for that matter. Okay. But I, I would think both of them are just in a lot of ways, you know, maybe a little more, well, you can, you, I, I wouldn't say trust isn't the right word, but you could perhaps rely a little more on them. Trust is not the word I would use. So anyway, I mean, yeah, again, very refreshing that the market can speak and that Evernote's like, holy crap. Now, of course, if you think that Regardless of what they say in a certain privacy policy or, or whatever else, if you think that this still isn't going to go on, you know, I have a bridge to sell you in on Mars. I'm not, I'm not going to say in China <laughs> or, or is it a land to sell you in China? However, that old phrase goes, because I mean, of course they're still going to, and this does, I mean, the second, you know, thing that, that was listed off, uh, uh, by the CEO was that, you know, we work within the confines of the law. Okay. Well, it's a U.S. based business. And so as we know, due to the work of, uh, Casper Bowden, the late great Casper Bowden, that any company based in the U S uh, you know, effectively has to, at any given moment, hand over any and all data on the company servers, uh, you know, to, to law enforcement, to the government. So, you know, th this doesn't really solve anything you know, at the end of the day, um, as, as far as like that aspect goes, but I mean, I agree, like this is a whole other love level of surveillance concerns to not just surveillance, but like privacy concerns to where, you know, lots of people set up all kinds of things on, on Evernote. I mean, and you know, like, like, on, like really here, consider this. Okay. Not that I believe in IP. I hope I made that clear earlier. Okay. You know, intellectual property, but you could be say writing a script or making this great novel or story or something. And some Evernote employee, Ooh, look at this. And, and they, you know, and they could quote unquote, take your idea. I use that term loosely or that phrase loosely, uh, you know, and, and they could go make the movie, you know, maybe they know somebody on the inside that they could work with or something. Now, this is interesting because and I think this sort of thing actually happens. Um, Google Docs years ago, and this we are talking, you know, almost 10 years ago. They or, well, I guess maybe five, six years ago. Um, Google Docs, you know, laid out in their privacy policy that you cannot, you know, if you use our services, any breach of, uh, you know, of, of your data that's on our services, you cannot sue Google for that. And, and they also said that we may use some of your, 
you know, content that you put, uh, you know, onto our services like Google Docs or whatever else, um, you know, for, for certain purposes within Google. And people properly freaked out back then, but Google didn't back down. And I think at the time, if that, if Google made that change post NSA, I think, or, you know, post Snowden, I, <laughs> what a crazy term, uh, then I, I think it would have been a very different reaction. But at the time you would just get written off as a conspiracy theorist. If you thought that Google was going to take a look at all your shit or perhaps use it for, you know, something else. I mean, kind of very similar, even though, yes, I know, I know Evernote wasn't going to, isn't going to use your content. Like uh, Instagram was saying they would were, well, we're going to use your pictures for our advertisements or something. Um, still I would, I would be kind of concerned if, if you have like, like really, really important data. I mean, you shouldn't be using Evernote anyway, you know, if, if it's like that, you know, where you're very concerned about prying eyes, or at least it should be encrypted if you are using it. Uh, but yeah, I mean this, I'm glad people made a stink. I'm glad people still seem to give a shit about the privacy. That's wonderful. Now, the second point that I want to bring up about this, and then I want to get into, uh, another quick story. Um, and then we're going to get into rogue one, baby. Um, but the, you know, the second point that I want to make is that I saw recently in some stories talking, uh, you know, blog posts and write-ups and, you know, whatever the editorials, whatever they add up to talking about this concept of data minimization. And I thought, and I, I, I saw that. I was like, what the hell is data minimization? And I read about it and I was like, oh, please let this be a thing. Please let this happen. And I think Evernote should take note, no pun intended, uh, of... <laughs> of all of this, because what data minimization is, is the, the argument, the concept that you really, that, that software companies, services company, you know, digital services companies, online, whatever that you, you know, apps that you want to really, what you need to do now. And this is like in TechCrunch and a bunch of other uh, sites, you know, news sites and whatever else, and people that have the pulse of the culture of Silicon Valley, that you want to collect as little data as needed from your users and customers and consumers. Why? Now, I mean, just straight up, you want to do that anyway, just out of, you know, the, the basic human liberty of, of privacy. Okay. But outside of that, like, you know, outside of respecting that, not, I mean, if a company needs to do it and you say, yes, I, you can use my stuff. Okay. Of course that's fine. I'm not, I'm not saying that, but outside of that, the reason being is that within, and this is, this is, this is such a huge, huge subject really that I might break down further on in the future is that within the legal framework that all of humanity lives under pretty much right now, that the data you collect about a user of your app or whatever can be, uh, you know, like anything that happens to that data, you could potentially, you know, you could be taken to a court, you could be taken to court, you could get sued, whatever else you could have class action done against you because of your mismanagement of that data. So for all of these little startups and all these other people, you don't want to collect all of this data because it could be, you know, if there's a leak, if there's a breach, or if somehow a user finds out that because of your collection of that data and it wasn't part of your terms of service or anything, you know, that there, that there would be some kind of problem, um, you, you know, that something happened in their life, you know, some, some tragedy or, or, you know, mishap, whatever, uh, that, you know, they could take you to court and you could get, you, you know, your whole company could get leveled in no time. This is a real, I mean, and, and it's so true. 
you know, and this is why I think it's interesting. This is why there was that uh, legislation. What was it? This past May, May of 2016, where I, I think Google, Amazon, a whole Facebook, whole slew of companies, even though they said that they were against the legislation, what that legislation added up to, and we talked about it on Sovereign Tech, was that, uh, you know, you these a lot of these big companies were protected from this sort of thing happening, where if there is you know some kind of uh, you know misuse or misconduct uh, of data that a company collects that they cannot get sued for it. So, uh, I mean, but this is the thing. And uh, I mean, obviously no shock that these companies get held up to that because they know that your data is going to get misused or is going to get used by say various alphabet soup organizations like the FBI, CIA, NSA, AT&T, uh, you know, and, and other government organizations. Cause all of those, yes, are government organizations, including AT&T. So data minimization, this is something people need to think about, especially if you, I know a lot of listeners uh, of Sovereign Tech are very much app builders and, you know, are trying to do software startups and all that and services startups. Think about this because you are not protected, you know, by the NSA and whoever else on like Facebook. This, this, you know, users data that you think, oh, that's great. I'll just take that, you know, can and will be used against you. Not that I, I like people getting into the legal system, but I'm not going to shed a tear if somebody sues some software company for, you know, just even like accidentally giving out their address. You didn't, if you didn't need the address in the first place, don't fucking collect it. So the whole Evernote thing, I mean, yeah, you know, it's, it's a, it's a small sigh of relief, a small sigh of relief. It is nice that companies will react to consumer pressure, uh, you know, still. Even when we talk about how, you know, there's so much legislation that protects a lot of these companies, I guess Evernote wasn't a part of that. Um, but, you know, just something to keep in mind that, yes, people will be looking at your data. Uh, I mean, you know, it's a shame. Miss the miss the days of good old client side. Uh, so, and you know, speaking of user data, I'm going to get into uh, into our last bit here. Uh, very quickly. I don't want to spend a ton of time on this. And this is actually is a story from TechCrunch, December 14th, 2016. Yahoo discloses hack of 1 billion accounts. <laughs> We're all screwed. No, <laughs> no. Um, effectively what happened here, I'm, I'm going to read on this quick and then we'll just talk about it briefly. Um, Yahoo has suffered another hack. The company disclosed today that it has discovered a breach of more than 1 billion user accounts that occurred in August, 2013. The breach is believed to be separate and distinct from the theft of data from 500 million accounts that Yahoo reported this past uh, September, which is September, 2016. That report of the 500 million accounts hacked where all of these email users really needed to, uh, you know, change their passwords and all that, which frankly looks like, well, I mean, if you already did it, then you probably don't need to do it again. But uh, but at that time, that was, they were just reporting two years later about something that happened in uh, in 2014. That was that original 500 million user hack. Now you have a billion user hack from 2013, which is crazy. Now, in, in the story, and I'll be quick with this because I want to get to the Rogue One review, okay? In the story, they talk about... Uh, with with the Yahoo hack, or more particularly crack, hack is a heroic act, or crack is, you know, a malicious one. Um, with this Yahoo crack of 1 billion accounts, um, they say that, look, we don't think any kind of payment information was out there. We don't think anything important was out there, but everybody got a very long email explaining what happened with a lot of cover your ass language on it, you know, cover Yahoo's ass. So maybe that's a new thing for, <laughs> that's a new definition of CYA, cover Yahoo's ass. <laughs> 
um, but I mean, as far as like what actually got out there, yeah, I mean, no, nobody exactly knows. Now, what happened here? Like what with this 500 million user attack and the 1 billion person user attack, frankly, yeah, Yahoo, Yahoo's security wasn't exactly up to snuff. There weren't things that they, they implemented, but that perhaps they wanted to, which understand three years ago, Yahoo under Marissa Meyer was wanting to. Uh, implement PGP into email. Now we're starting to see, I think why they were talking about doing that because that would let them off of the hook of eventually these data, uh, you know, these data, these, these security breaches, um, you know, coming to light, but they never set that up. Now, why didn't they set this up? This is where, honestly, I feel bad for Yahoo because we do know the story. We talked about it on Sovereign Tech back in 2013, where it was revealed that this is all, I mean, it wasn't exactly part of the Snowden revelations, but it was kind of, kind of part of that, that whole time frame, where we found out that Yahoo was getting fined a quarter million dollars a day if it didn't hand over customer data, if it didn't hand over user data to the NSA, you know, to the U.S. government. And they were standing their ground for a little while, but at a quarter million a day, yeah, you could, you could be Apple and eventually that's going to hurt you. You know, that's going to hurt you in a few months and not even. So I actually feel kind of bad for Yahoo because at one point Yahoo took a stand. And I think, I think that these, my personal theory, the golden stallion's personal theory, and I don't have a whole ton of evidence for this. I'm speculating, but I'm allowed to speculate. Okay. Uh, is that. The both of these attacks, the 500 million user attack and the 1 billion user attack were actually uh, uh, perpetrated by an alphabet soup organization. I mean, maybe not an American one. It could have even have been GCHQ. That's my opinion is that that's exactly what happened. And in that case, you know, if a state actor is coming after you, I don't think there's much you can do. I mean, you can make it expensive for them. Of course, obviously, now we can see they'll make it expensive on, you know, in turn, in kind quote unquote. But I think that's, I think that's what went down. I mean, folks, bottom line is, is that if you have anything important going on with Yahoo, you know, you don't want to, I want to talk about solutions here for a second. You don't want to just delete your Yahoo account. Okay. In fact, I think they've Yahoo's made it like almost impossible for you to be able to delete your Yahoo account recently, which, you know, that's shit on Yahoo for that. I mean, that sucks. Okay. But what you really want to do is just have nothing important go to it, but you want to, when you find out about these breaches, go change your passwords, go lock, make sure everything's locked down. Because what can happen is, is that even though you think you have nothing important going to your Yahoo account, what'll occur is that if somebody cracks into your Yahoo account and say gets access to your Yahoo email address, they can use that to somehow prove or, you know, attempt to prove that they are you and then get access to other accounts of yours that have nothing to do with Yahoo. So you don't really, you just, you want to take these seriously. Even if you say to yourself, oh shit, I haven't used my Yahoo account in four years, so I don't care. Well, it can still get used against you by some very intrepid, uh, 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 you know, hacker, cracker, whatever. So keep that in mind. Okay. That, that you don't want to just like let this stuff slide. Even if you think you haven't used it anymore, you want, you still want to take this seriously. That's the solution. If you can find a way to actually get your Yahoo account shut down, well then by all means shut it down. Okay. But you know, the, the otherwise, you know, go and, and refresh all your shit and, and, and make sure everything's on the up and up with your Yahoo account. Take this seriously. Okay. Uh, now Yahoo is, and this will be curious to see because Verizon was planning on, um, sell or buying Yahoo. This is back in July for like 5 billion. Um, 
so it was four something billion, but like it ended up to about five billion. Um, is this going to affect the price? <laughs> is Verizon going to buy Yahoo for only two billion now? A billion an incident, you know? Um, like, like, or are they going, are they going to back out completely? I mean, this, that kind of puts this up in the air. Uh, but again, it's such a shame because I think years ago, I think three years ago, perhaps when these incidents were happening, Yahoo was doing the right thing. They were talking about, we're going to build in automatic PGP encryption into every email address. They said they were going to do that. Okay. And I mean, it didn't exactly happen. Not, not the way that I think they initially intended and that people were hoping. Okay. Uh, and they also were standing up to the U S government for a little while at the cost of a quarter million dollars a day. But then this happens. It's a shame. Like, like really it's a shame. Uh, so I think, you know, I don't want to rip on Yahoo too much. Okay. Because in this case, I think those were state actors. If it wasn't state actors, have at them. Rip on them all you want, okay? They, they obviously fuck something up. But I, I get the sense that that's really what happened there. So that's the Yahoo story. Let's take a moment uh, to thank another one of our sponsors. And, of course, that being, you want to talk about real security. How do you get real security? How do you really secure your wealth? Well, step one is you diversify your wealth, right? You don't have it all in one place. Don't have all your, your you know, all your eggs in one basket, okay? Uh, and... One great way to diversify your wealth is to invest in or, you know, purchase gold and silver, precious metals, all the good stuff. You get in on that. Now, wouldn't it be great if you could secure your wealth and buy it in a secure way? Like, say, using the, mo you know, what is arguably the most secure money on the planet right now, Bitcoin. How about that? How, what if there was a Bitcoin preferred uh, precious metals dealer out there, precious metals business out there. Guess what? There is Roberts and Roberts brokerage. Okay. I want you to go to gold.zog.ninja. That's the URL. Go to gold.zog.ninja and you can get there. They, they have it all. They have a, a very impressive collection of precious metals, gold, silver, platinum, palladium. They have the coins, all the stuff you could possibly want. They are, I mean, the customer service is phenomenal. I know that for a fact, uh, you know, and they will, they won't just, you can, I mean, you can buy from them. They'll also buy from you, your precious metals. Uh, and they, again, a Bitcoin preferred business. They know how great a money that is. And so when you want to diversify your wealth up, say from Bitcoin, and you want to get that offline solution, that, that classic cold storage, that's what I like to call gold and silver. You go to Roberts and Roberts brokerage and they're ready to deal with you. Uh, and it just, just phenomenal. And let them know, you can tell them the golden stallion sent you. Okay. Because believe me, they, they're a fan of the show. They know who I am, baby. Woo. <laughs> so gold.zog.ninja, get that security in your wealth and, and do so by having, again, by getting gold and silver have it in your hand for fuck's sake. Okay. <laughs> Roberts and Roberts and broker Roberts and Roberts brokerage. They'll hook you up. So gold.zog.ninja. And I thank them very much for supporting and sponsoring sovereign tech. Uh, it just means the world to me. Uh, so anyway, it is time, baby. <laughs> we are going to break into it. This is what you have been waiting for. You, I mean, I've been waiting for this. I've been waiting. I mean, we, we knew that it was back in 2013, amazing how much happened, how much changed in 2013, just talking about Yahoo. Uh, but anyway, in 2013, when Disney bought, I also ironically for 4 billion, 
I think I think buying buying out George Lucas is a better investment than Yahoo, unfortunately, but or fortunately or unfortunately, depending on how you look at it. Um, but we knew that when Disney bought out, uh, uh, you know, the Star Wars franchise or pretty much bought out Lucasfilm, that that's that's what they bought because, you know, they own Indiana Jones now as well. Um, but they don't I don't <laughs> they don't own Howard the Duck. Of course, that's a Marvel property. But anyway, um when they bought that, they said, look, we're going to be pumping out movies. And I mean, we knew it would happen. Like it'd be dumb of them not to, I mean, of course in Disney, you know, knowing their MO, uh, they bought Marvel. Wait. So yeah. So they do own Howard the duck. What the fuck am I talking about? <laughs> Holy shit. They can make another Howard the duck movie and they could use Lucasfilm to build it. Just like George Lucas did back in the eighties. <laughs> right. So Disney owns Marvel, uh, and, and the Marvel movies, I mean, they just keep cranking these things out to the point to where it really is oversaturation. People are, most people are sick of comic book movies, even though Dr. Strange had just enough uniqueness to it to make it worth a watch. Um, I, I think really otherwise, you know, the comic book movie is really tired, or at least the comic book movie from Marvel does Marvel is very tired. I'm very interested to see what Valiant has going on with their, like a web series on YouTube, like for Ninjack, one of my favorite comic book series of all time. Um, and DC, of course, I think has very interesting things. Wonder Woman is going to be a phenomenal movie. I, I mean, I can just, I can feel it. <laughs> so, uh, but you know, people are sick of Marvel. Um, and that this might be a part of the conversation we have here around Star Wars. Um, because you know, we knew that they were going to be releasing. They said, we're going to release a movie a year from here into seemingly perpetuity. Uh, starting off with episode seven of the force awakens, which came out last year. And now just a couple days ago on December 16th, even though I, you know, I saw it on the, on the 15th, um, which isn't uncommon for, for big movies where you, you know, usually you can catch a midnight showing. Now they're pretty much allowing theaters to do a 7 PM showing. Uh, you know, I, it came out and it's star Wars or it, well, okay. It's rogue one, a star Wars story. I'll admit that title does not roll off the tongue and I certainly would have went with something else. <laughs> I mean, rogue one's a fine title just saying rogue one, a star Wars story. I would have just called it star Wars rogue one and left the episode out of it. Like, I, and, and so here, so here's the thing with this. So we knew that these movies would come out, you know, be coming out, a, a, you know, every year. And of course we have episode eight coming out next year. Um, it's around the same time. And then following that we have the Han Solo movie, uh, you know, coming out, which is a, a prequel, a Han Solo prequel. And of course they won't use the term prequels. I'm going to lay this out. I guess I should just say this right out of the gate. Okay. Is what did I, what did I actually think of, uh, of the movie itself? Well, I, I'll just call it as I saw it. I thought it was great. Like, I, I mean, I genuinely thought it was a great fucking Star Wars movie. Um, now, that said, <laughs> there's so much nuance here, but we've got time to, to go over it. That said, I wouldn't say it's a great movie um, and because there's problems. Like, I, I without... You know, I think you could look at, say, The Empire Strikes Back, and maybe you couldn't do this. I, you know, I think, and people talk a lot about this. They talk about the machete order, like what order do you watch the Star Wars movies now if someone's never seen them before and all this, right? And the machete order is you watch four, five, two, three, and then six, and you never watch one. You never watch Phantom Menace. Okay. Um, I think you could get away with just watching five and six and be like, holy shit, that was amazing. And the reason I kind of say that is I, I do know like that you could watch, I think you could watch like Star Trek two and Star Trek three 
and never see Star Trek one or never even see the the television show. And yet you're still like, wow, this is amazing. What the hell am I seeing here? Um, and so I think episode five and six can, you know, you can really do that with Empire and Return of the Jedi. You, you can definitely just watch those and not have seen any other Star Wars. And you, you, you kind of, you know, you kind of, you can get it. And like, you're like, you know, you can watch it and say, holy shit, that was awesome. Um, and you get enough story to really understand sort of what's going on, partly because also you have, uh, you know, the opening crawl uh, that helps you out, you know, with explaining the story, right? Rogue One. You cannot just watch this movie on its own. It's so funny because like, oh, this is a standalone movie. You know, now I know they didn't really mean that as like you could just go see this and, you know, wow, ooh, ah, you know, this is really impressive. Um, this is a movie that you have to see all of the other movies to understand. And there's there's a lot of confusion around this film. And I want to talk about that because, I mean, this this gets into into a lot and that and we will break down into, you know, we'll, you know more about the movie. But I think there's a lot to say uh, about its overall release and place, you know, in the abstract. Um, so one of the one of the things, in fact, there was an argument uh, about whether or not there was going to be an opening crawl. And again, spoiler alerts, folks. I mean, that's I'm just that's the last time I'm going to say it. This is going to be there's going to be tons of spoilers here. So if you haven't seen the movie yet go catch it. Um, there was argument whether or not there would be an opening crawl where, you know, which is a star Wars staple, you know, I mean, even, I mean, everything kind of does the opening crawl, almost everything, you know, uh, or, or something like it anyway, like even clone wars, you know, did something like it. Uh, this movie had no opening crawl. And what is such a pity is that this is the singular movie that fucking needed it. Like it needed it so bad because what was a major concern around this film was that people wouldn't know you, you had this catch 22. Okay. That I think was going on at the offices at, at, at Disney slash Lucasfilm. People didn't know. Okay. Is this a sequel to, uh, you know, to, to episode seven? So like, where's, where's Finn and Ray, you know, like where, where is everybody, you know, where, Hey, where's Luke Skywalker and all this shit. Right. So that is the argument as to why they didn't call it Star Wars Rogue One. That's why they called it Rogue One, a Star Wars story. That way you didn't get confused into thinking that this was the sequel to last year's Episode 7. Okay, um, that's that's problematic in and of itself. Now, maybe that's also the reason why they didn't do an opening crawl, because they're like, well, if they see an opening crawl, they're going to think it's a sequel to last year's, which wrong thinking. The opening crawl would have been the thing that would made it that would have made it very clear that you are seeing a, a prequel to the original trilogy and not a sequel to episode seven that would have made that abundantly clear problem comes in though, <laughs> is that also you couldn't just go out there. Like the easy way to market this thing would be to say it's a prequel. It takes place before a new hope. But I think also at the offices at Disney and Lucasfilm, they didn't want to say that because the prequels have such a stigma around them, you know, where people, for whatever reasons, hate those movies. And I don't get it, but OK, I mean, I love them. I love all three. And, and whatever, you know, I, I, I mean, I guess I understand some of the arguments against it. Right. I mean, there are, there are problems with those films, just like there's problems with this one. All right. Uh, but I, I, I think that they, you know, they're, they're, they're just fine and dandy movies. Okay. But because of that, you didn't want to say that this is a prequel because you know, you, you want to stay away from that term. Cause that term has, you know, has, uh, you know, uh, bad connotations. So Disney was really screwed 
in releasing this, I think, because, and I've heard from people who were, and I didn't think that this would be a problem. I kind of figured I was like, no, people will be smart enough. They'll see Darth Vader in the trailers and, and I, not to infer that they're dumb if they don't, I'm just saying that, you know, they would see in the trailers, the Darth Vader's there. Okay. So they know that this is something to do with the original trilogy because Darth Vader's back. That's the only explanation. And they know it's not the prequel trilogy because Darth Vader's here. But no, people were still very confused as to, you know, what is going on? What, when, when does this movie take place? Where is Finn and Ray? Where, I mean, like, like people, and I, and I understand. And you know, what, what didn't help with any of that was the fact that, and, and this is going to be kind of the initial, I, I mean, there's so many great things to say about this movie and I'm going to get into those, believe me, but you know, let's start at the start here is that this movie does a terrible job of explaining what's going on. It, in fact, it pretty much doesn't explain really what's happening. I mean, it just doesn't, you know, you, your explanation comes, uh, you know, with a, the opening conversation between Krennic and Jen, uh, and Galen Erso. It's, I mean, it's in bad shape. <laughs> like, and that's why I say this movie needed the fucking opening crawl to explain what was happening. And I mean, they really dropped the ball. And honestly, I would have no problem and I would not blame Kathleen Kennedy had a Lucasfilm. I would not blame her if she said, okay, when this comes out on Blu-ray, put the opening crawl in because for the longevity of this film, I think that's going to be, I, I think that that's just a very, very smart move uh, because especially, I mean, when people see this on TV, they're going to be confused as fuck, you know? And, and so I don't blame anybody for being, I, I really, I, I empathize with anybody that was confused. What the hell is going on in this movie? What is this movie about? Uh, like, I don't get, I don't get the story. What is happening? When does this take place? Because there's really no clues, you know, unless you looked into it beforehand. Um, and I kind of want to save this, this, this second subject for later, but even if you saw the trailers, I think you would be confused when you finally go to see this movie. Reason being is because I think, and we'll talk more about this later. We, we got a very different film in theaters than what was being shown in the trailers. I'm going to save that subject for later on, but that is a main thrust of something I want to talk about here. Um, and actually, as I mentioned earlier in this episode, I listened to the audiobook um, in its entirety of Rogue One, which again, isn't supposed to come out till December 20th. I'm releasing this episode on December 17th. Okay. I listened to the complete audiobook, and there are, it, it kind of proves my point. We're, we'll talk about the audiobook as, as we go along here. Um, and I mean, and, and there's, there's other, other evidence, uh, for, for all of that too. So, but that, you know, I, I do want to start off with that, that the opening was really bad. Um, like really bad, like it needed that opening crawl. They did not explain things very well, um, whatsoever. And even when, you know, what's funny, like the only way you knew that, like the, the title shot for the movie was a joke. Like you have the whole scene with Krennic and Urso, uh, and Galen Urso. And you see, you know, where Jin or so gets away and then it just goes to, I mean, it was, and, and other people have commented about this and, and I think it's, they're, they're dead on for it. They said, it looks like the, 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 the opening, kind of the, the quick title shot that they give where it says rogue one, you know, with the star field and the yellow letters, it looks like somebody made that in iMovie. Like it's, it's five seconds saying rogue one with this font that just looked so stupid. Like why not use the star Wars font? I don't, I, I, I am, I, I was baffled at that. 
That was so weird, especially in the movie posters. They use the Star Wars font. So fucking use it in the movie. Like I said, if they make changes, okay, and maybe this will become a thing because, you know, kind of director's cuts with the, I mean, those are in extended editions. Those are becoming very popular. Uh, largely like say with DC, which isn't, isn't Disney, but you know, how you have the extended cuts of suicide squad or Batman versus Superman and all that. Like, like that's, it's really becoming a thing where there's a difference, uh, when it comes to home video. So I, I really actually, I very much hope that we get, uh, effectively a special edition of this movie <laughs> for the opening alone. Okay. <laughs> Cause that, I mean, that, that was, that was just, that was really, really bad. Um, I mean, and, and also the other thing like that opening should have taken the time and they try to, in a very coy way, explain, like, let's talk about what one of the major plot points of this movie is. Okay. The, one of the major plot points of Rogue One, again, this whole movie is about getting the Death Star plans for the first Death Star so that, uh, you know, Luke Skywalker can do his, his, you know, his trench run and, you know, blow up the Death Star. Okay, spoiler alert there, huh? <laughs> you didn't know that. Uh, but, <laughs> or you didn't know that, that that was how this is all going to end. Um, so this is literally like, this is a, a prologue to episode four, to A New Hope. Okay, and it's all about that one line that you got in the, the you know, kind of the opening uh uh, the opening text for a new hope where it says, you know, rebels stole the, the plans for the death star, blah, blah, blah. Um, and that princess Leia is, you know, running them and getting Obi-Wan Kenobi and, and she's trying to get the plans to the rebels, you know, so that they can launch an attack against the, you know, the terror weapon, the planet killer that is the death star. Okay. So that's the plot for the movie, but a major plot device for this whole film are the Kyber crystals. Okay. Now, how many people, even people that have watched because they've never been mentioned before in the movies. I mean, they're a big part of, of any of the animated shows like Clone Wars or, uh, or Rebels. Okay. Both phenomenal, by the way. Uh, but how many, or a part of the books too, how many people know what Kyber crystals are that, it, that even people that have like watched the movies religiously, not, they don't know, but they were the Kyber crystals, which are these crystals that they are what power the Jedi's lightsabers. Um, they are what also you find out and you actually kind of found this out through Clone Wars, uh, through the, the, the TV show Clone Wars, um, that they are the, they are what power the, you know, the super weapon of the Death Star that, you know, the super laser that it has. Uh, so that's a huge plot point of this, of this whole film. And yet the only introduction you really get to it is like Jen Erso's mom, uh, uh, what's her name? Lynn? No, uh, no, Lyra, right. Yeah. Lyra Urso. Like she gives her a necklace and her dad give her a necklace that, you know, has, has a Kyber crystal on it. And that's kind of your introduction to, to sort of what the Kyber crystals are about. I mean, they really don't go into any depth with that. And so if you don't know what Kyber crystals are, I mean, like it keeps coming up over and over again in the movie, like, or why, you know, why are the Imperials on Jeddah? Because, oh, there's, you know, there's great mining for Kyber crystals there. Uh, you, you know, and all that, like, it's, it's a huge fucking deal. And so to not, not have the opening crawl to explain what kyber crystals are or, you know, to, to not, yeah, to, to not go into depth in any way about all of that. I mean, what a loss. This is a movie and, and, and I'll explain, like I said, we're going to get into, cause there's so much great shit about this. I loved this movie. Okay. So, so please don't confuse me with what I'm saying, but again, we're starting from the beginning. Um, this was a movie, you know, the kind of the easiest way to explain this is that it is a star Wars fans, a star Wars, super fans, Star Wars film. And I use super fan in particular. 
Uh, if you listen to Patreon episodes of Sovereign Tech, you know what I mean by super fan. Uh, it used to be when you'd say fan, you'd know that it was somebody that read all the books, read all the comics, or, you know, was totally immersed in some kind of fictional universe. Now everybody's a fan of fucking everything. And so you have to say super fan to really differentiate, to understand that, you know, somebody that's really knee deep in this stuff. So if you're a star Wars super fan, this movie was so for you. I mean, and, and I, and I am one, I am absolutely a star Wars super fan. Uh, this was a movie. This is the first movie where something that I've complained about, and this is a good and a bad thing, depending on who you are and how you're looking at it. Okay. This is the first rogue one is the first movie I've seen where if you did not read the extraneous material, if you didn't read the book, there was a prequel book for this called uh, catalyst. Okay, which was a great book. Now, I mean, not, not an awesome book, but it was a great book. Uh, you know, it's a very good book as far as Star Wars goes. Um, that went into everything about kyber crystals. It went into Galen Erso's, you know, obsession with kyber, kyber crystals. It talked about the relationship between uh, Galen Erso and, and Orson Krennic, who is kind of the, you know, well, effectively the primary villain in this, even though you really have three villains. Um, you know, it, it, went, it went into, into all of that, okay? And so if you read Catalyst, you would have no question about what is going on in this movie. You'd have zero. Catalyst is effectively the open opening crawl that should have been there for, um, you know, for Rogue One, just obviously in a very expanded format because it's an entire novel. Um, and again, a very good one. Like it is, it is really, you know, it is a really good novel. And, and I think it, but, but here's the thing is that I've said about this for a while. I was like, no, I want my time, the, the, you know, my investment in researching, you know, a fictional universe, reading everything about that fictional universe that comes out about that fictional universe. I want that to pay off. I want there to be that movie where only the super fans really appreciate what's going on and only they really get it. And that's exactly what I got with, with Rogue One. And I don't mean that to insult anybody that's not a super fan. I understand. You don't want to spend the time. Please do other things. That's okay. All right. Uh, but this was the time that it really happened. But I think that it's as much as I love that, it's kind of a bad move because you have so many other people that are going to go see, well, Star Wars is on name. This has got to be awesome. It's not going to be awesome for them. Not that it needs to be, but for it to be the second movie to ever come out, you know, after, uh, you know, effectively, you know, over a 10 year hiatus. You don't want to be doing that kind of specialized film at this point in time. I think you want to prove your chops a little bit better, or you want to make it a movie that everybody can really identify with and can jump on board with by at least putting in an opening crawl. Um, I think that there was a lot of marketing going on for telling people to go read Catalyst because it was a good book. It wasn't the best book ever made for Star Wars, even out of the new canon. Okay. Uh, and I think part of the reason that people were so hot about it is because Disney was probably letting some of these venues know, like even some YouTubers and some others. I, I really think Disney was saying to them, you need to tell people that they need to read this book because they, they knew what was coming. Okay. <laughs> that it wasn't going to be, you know, that, that this was going to be kind of a confusing film. They had to know that it didn't make sense. You know, because the movie, unless you're a super fan, I mean, if you're a super fan, this movie makes tons of sense. It's awesome. It is wet dreams brought to life. It is phenomenal. Okay. But if you're not, it's rough shape. Now, you know, it, like I said earlier, how, you know, Empire Strikes Back and um, 
Return of the Jedi, like how I think you could actually watch those two films and it would overall like, you know, kind of make sense as far as what, what happened um, with it. I don't think that you can just watch Return of the Jedi. I think you could watch Empire on its own and be like, holy shit, that was a great movie. Um, I don't think you can watch Return of the Jedi and think the same way because it's so intertwined with everything that happened in Empire Strikes Back and, you know, even A New Hope, uh, maybe. Um, and, you know, it was saying that, like, this is interesting because I really feel like if the argument has been made that uh, The Force Awakens, Episode 7, if that is, if that was just a rehash of A New Hope, you know, of Episode 4, this was, ironically, based upon its placement, this was a rehash of Return of the Jedi. Uh, like, I, I really, really think that. Be- I mean, like, the plot was so similar we got to get the shield down on this planet so that we can get to the plans. We use a stolen Imperial shuttle to get, you know, to get these plans. Um, there was, there were so many things in it that really felt like that, that felt like return of the Jedi, which isn't a bad thing. I mean, even the gigantic space fucking battle was easily, and I know others have said this, but I agree. It is easily the greatest space battle you've ever seen next to return of the Jedi. Like it is that good. The, the space battle in the second half of this is phenomenal. And it, it, it is in many ways for everybody. It is the movie savings, saving grace, even for the super fans, but certainly for people that are watching, like what the hell is going on? Like the space battle is just so intense, so well done and so nuts. Uh, but it, it's a carbon copy of it. I mean, you even have effectively Admiral Akbar. you know, of course it's Admiral Raddus instead, who, who is a really cool character. I, I really enjoyed that. Uh, but I mean, you know, he did everything except say it's a trap. It's a trap. You know, I mean, like, like if Raddus said that, it would, you know, people would be like, well, holy shit. I mean, you even had like what happened, um, in Return of the Jedi, where the uh, the executor, the superstar destroyer, crashes into the into the Death Star. Well, in this one, you have you know a, a couple, actually a couple star destroyers crash into the shield generator, uh, you know around the or the shield gate, I should say, around the planet, and that that kind of brings everything down. Like <laughs> like there are so many notes and cues taken from Return of the Jedi. Like I think that this this was effectively a, a copy of that. Now, like Return of the Jedi, though, it can't really stand on its own feet. You know, it needs to have understanding of the rest of the lore, the rest of the saga, the rest of the the legend. So, you know, that, that's that, I mean, that's kind of my my opinion on that. And I look forward to seeing I haven't seen any yet, but I, I, I will be interesting. It'll be interesting to see if other people kind of pick up um, on that, that that this was effectively, a, you know, a rehash of Return of the Jedi in a lot of ways. I mean, the space by the space battle in particular, you know, copied it like almost note for note. Um, you know, perhaps the first half of the movie wasn't like Return of the Jedi, but certainly the, the second half um, was in, in a very, very, uh, very big way. So anyway, uh, let's let's move on to some, some other uh, other points about this. And, and I guess I'm going to stick with the negatives, because when I went to start talking about the positives, I really want to ride high on them. Um, this was a movie that even for a super fan, I feel like it 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 left you with more with a lot more questions than answers. Um, like, I, I mean, you'd and. I felt like the way this movie was getting billed to me was that this was a film where, you know, you were going to get a lot of things explained to you, right? Like they were going to explain, oh, how did all this happen? I mean, the whole point is this is going to flesh out a a certain aspect of the opening crawl for A New Hope. So that infers, or I mean, that's very implicit 
or very explicit, I should say. It's very explicit that this is going to explain things. And it really didn't. It just left you with a bunch of other questions. Like, you know, you find out about, like, what's Jetta? What are the Guardians of the Wills? Which, Guardian of the Wills, now, when I heard them say Wills, actually, when I saw the soundtrack, I listened to the soundtrack uh, that day, that that on, on the 15th. I, I listened to it, and I looked, you know, and I saw the track listing and everything. And actually, I saw the track listing when they leaked it, like, a month ago. Uh, but there was a track called guardian of the wills. And I was like, Oh shit. Now, if you, if you read the 1976 Alan Dean Foster, even though it was credited to George Lucas novelization of the first star Wars movie at the beginning of that, there is this, you know, there's kind of this intro and it, uh, like a prologue where it's supposedly from some kind of, you know, text or something. And the text was written. It says it's from the journal of the wills, W H I L L S. And so when I saw, oh, there's the Guardian of the Wills, it's like, oh, this is going to be very interesting. That whole idea of the Wills, you know, George Lucas never went further with it, um, but it's been tried to get placed into various aspects uh, of the Star Wars saga ever since. You know, certainly the expanded universe and all that. So I'm, I'm open to that, but then you never really find out who the Wills are. It says Guardian of the Wills, but the Guardian of the Wills are effectively these people. They're not necessarily Force users, uh, you know, kind of like the, the various characters like, uh, uh, you know, Donnie Yen's. Uh, uh, character, uh, Chirrut, and then, um, uh, the other guy there, uh, not, not Bodhi, Baze, Baze Malbus, uh, Bay, you know, those two guys are guardians of the wills, but they're guardians of the wills. They're not wills themselves. So what are the wills? And you find out all about this, you know, the city Nijeda, uh, or, you know, Jeddah city, whatever they want to call it. I, it has a bunch of different words, but the Holy city, obviously, you know, a huge play on Jerusalem on this moon called Jeddah, which you find out that Jeddah is effectively this, it's like Mecca for Jedi. Okay. You know, it, it really, you know, when, when you look at Nijeda, it, it's definitely designed to be like, it's supposed to hint at Jerusalem and kind of the, I suppose in some ways, the violence on, in Jerusalem and all that, right. That, that, that always happens. Um, so you got, you got that play on that. So this is a very important planet and a very important city. And you have these guardian of the wills, but like, you know, nothing about this. No one's ever really mentioned Jeddah before. It was in, you know, a galactic Atlas book and that's about it. Um, and obviously the name is reference to Jedi. Uh, when you read the audiobook, there's some interesting hints that actually a lot of different religions consider Jeddah to be very important, which just plays into the fact that this is the Star Wars version of Jerusalem. Uh, because, you know, in, in, in real world Jerusalem, you have, you know, it's split into quarters, right? You have, you have different religions that all, you know, kind of, uh, uh, you know, praise it and glorify it. Uh, so, so yeah, that, that's the deal with Jeddah. Uh, of course, the, the Death Star blows it up. <laughs> so it's gone now. So what are you going to do with it? Like, I think it's pretty obvious that they put it into this movie because it's going to end up getting used in a whole bunch of other shit for, you know, for the star Wars saga in general. Um, like I, I, I don't think it's a stretch to say that there is going to be, uh, in, in the near future that there are, there's going to be like, you know, a Knights of the old Republic, like, you know, Jedi stories, star Wars stories that take place thousands of years, perhaps, um, you know, before the prequels even, um, and that Jedi will, will play a big part in all that. And then we'll, we'll kind of understand that. So that, that lends an interesting thing is that this movie rogue one might make a lot more sense 10 years from now. Uh, like, like this movie will introduce a lot of things that you will see the connections to as more movies come out. So this really isn't that much of a standalone. And that's the thing is that I think a lot of the questions sort of left up in the air, uh, in this, 
they will get answered way down the line. And then this, again, this movie will, will make a lot of sense. Um, I mean, it did, it did a good job, I think of being placed between episode three and episode four. Like, I think it did a good job of being a bridge between those two, as long as you know, both of those movies really, really well. Um, you know, because I mean, at the end of episode three, what is, what does episode three really end on? It ends on, uh, the Death Star getting constructed, you know, and there's Tarkin and everything. And so to have, and this is where I guess maybe we could start getting into, into some of the, you know, some of the good stuff here. Um, the movie really pulled off some things that, that were very interesting, some very interesting effects, uh, that, that I really, uh, really enjoyed. Uh, one of the best things about this movie was the inclusion of Grand Moff Tarkin. Uh, of course, you know, from a new hope played by Peter Cushing, the great Peter Cushing. Um, they did what they did in this is they pulled off what they did in Tron legacy. If you ever saw Tron legacy, which talk about a great fucking film that can stand on its own. That is one of the best. And actually I'm a little pissed at star Wars because I think once Disney acquired star Wars, they canceled all their plans for turning Tron into a gigantic franchise again. Uh, and, and that's a real shame because they had that had legs. Uh, but you know, it not, 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 or, you know, not, not coincidentally, I think that technology originally, uh, you know, trailblazed in Tron in another Disney property came to full fruition in the franchise that ended up superseding, uh, Tron and that being star Wars. So, you know, where in Tron legacy, where you had, um, where you had Jeff Bridges, you know, in his character of clue, they had, you know, they overlaid a young Jeff Bridges over an actor using CGI. So that way the program as compared to Kevin Flynn, the, you know, the, the, the human actor within Tron, uh, you know, can age the program that Kevin Flynn created that looked like him could be forever young, you know, would always look young. And so, you know, you had this, this technology, you know, CGI used that allowed for, um, an overlay of a very young faced, you know, Jeff Bridges over, over some kind of actor. And then, you know, the actor could do all the voicing and everything. Um, so they did this with, with, uh, with rogue one where you have Tarkin who is, you know, there's, there's an actor there, but then they overlaid the actor's face with Peter Cushing effectively, like a slightly, perhaps even a, yeah, he looked a little younger. I mean, it, it worked like it looked good. It, it got the point across. And I think Tarkin being in the movie was absolutely essential, especially since again, going back to, you know, you really got to be a super fan to appreciate this. The book Tarkin, there's just a book by James Lucino called Tarkin, which is part of the new canon of Star Wars ever since Disney took over and they rebooted the entire canon, is one of the best in, that they've released. And it is a fan favorite and people love the character now. So to have him in there just made a ton of sense. It was the right thing to do. And I think doing it that way made sense too, instead of bringing in another actor, because it's going to be fun to watch this movie and then immediately watch a new hope and like, just have like that whole five, you know, four hour block effectively where, you know, you get this complete story, um, that, that would be a lot of fun. Um, so having it, having it look just like, um, you know, Tarkin in, in using CGI, even if it wasn't like picture perfect, I think it was, was the right, was the right move. I, I really applaud them for doing that. Um, so who else did they do that with? Well, I'm, I'm going to save that because there's another character that they did that with. Uh, as far as what was right with the movie, well, you know, you know, going beyond that, having Tarkin in it, that was like the first right move to do. Uh, I thought that the, the action in general, this was definitely a movie like a star. It was really the first star Wars movie that was really aimed, um, at adults. 
Okay. And more so, I mean, like Empire Strikes Back, I think was kind of aimed at adults as well. And I really think Return of the Jedi was up until this, up until Rogue One, I think Return of the Jedi was like the darkest uh, Star Wars movie. And don't talk to me about the Ewoks. Don't even complain about them. Do you understand how badass those things were? I love the Ewoks. They were cooking human beings. Did you miss that part of the movie? These are not Care Bears. Okay. They were literally putting Han Solo over a goddamn fire and they're going to roast him. Please give me a, I mean, okay. I guess you normally put that in kids stuff where, where they cook human beings. Stop. Oh, <laughs> I never understand the hate for the Ewoks. Those are badass fucking creatures. Now, I mean, if you're going off the cartoons, you know, like the animated series or the, even the Ewok movies, okay, maybe that's a little bit different, but if you're just basing your experience of the Ewoks, which is what most people have on return of the Jedi, they eat humans. Anyway, (laughs) this is definitely, you know, the, the darkest of the bunch and, you know, easily the most adult film, um, of the bunch, but it was, you know, I will give this, it was odd. And actually someone else, a, a good friend pointed this out in that, like, like there's almost no sexuality, you know, in the movie itself. Like you, you get practically none, which is strange because there's definitely a love interest between, uh, um, uh, Jin Erso and, uh, and, uh, Cassian, you know, the, the character played by, uh, by Diego Luna there. Uh, and, and like, even at the end when, you know, the death star fires off and everybody's about to die. Yeah. Spoiler alerts, folks, everybody dies. Like almost everybody dies. Uh, K2SO, you know, all, all the, all the major characters that you saw in the trailers gone. Um, you know, there was a point where like they could have kissed and I was just like, oh, this is it. This is where Disney, you know, they'll show all the violence in the world and they won't, they won't allow for one little fucking kiss. God damn it. You know, and, and it really, that sucks. Like, I mean, yeah. And some of the, some of the new Canon Star Wars books, you are getting some degree of sex and sexuality, but on film, yep, they just they wouldn't let it go there, and and I I don't know why they why they wouldn't let that happen, um, especially because now this lends into this leads into something else. So yeah, so the space battle. All right, I just want to say that quick. The space battles were great. Um, like the the action was tremendous. All the new vehicles. I could spend a whole episode talking about all the new vehicles. I thought the U wing was awesome. Uh, I thought the new TIE fighters uh, were were real, like the TIE striker or whatever, all those. And there was even another one. I think it was like the TIE raven that they never, you didn't know about. But if you look closely, you see it. Um, th- th- that was really cool. There, a lot of that stuff was really, really cool. Um, but I want to get into real quick here, uh, you know, bef- before I go on the rest, that again, and the acting was fine. You know, the story largely was, was, was fine. Again, you have to be a super fan to understand what's going on. But if you are, this is, this is awesome. You, there's so much you get to see come to life. That was, that was just really, really cool. Everything happening on Yavin four was great. Mon Mothma was awesome, uh, to have, um, you know, to have Jimmy Smith's come back as Bail Organa was great. In fact, I heard the collective like gasp when he came out of the shadows on Yavin four, you know, on the rebel base, it was like, Ooh, you know, and general Dodonna's there. I mean, you got all these great cues. Um, that, that was, that was really, really fun. Uh, but, you know, talking about the tone of the film. So I, I want to touch on this while I have time. I, like I said earlier, I think we ended up seeing a very, very different movie than what was originally, uh, you know, 
what was originally filmed even because there was a lot of controversy around the reshoots. Like this was a big deal is that, Oh, you know, there was this saying, Oh, they're going in for reshoots and they're apparently really extensive reshoots. That was the rumor that went around. And then it got proven as fact. Yes, there were extensive reshoots. Uh, another director came in, you know, all these different people, you know, got involved, uh, you know, what the hell is going on with rogue one. And you know, the theory going was that Disney, did not like the the darkness in the tone of the film, even though, like I said, the movie that I just saw was still pretty dark. Um, you know, they didn't like it. And so they wanted, you know, really crazy reshoots, frankly. And, 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 you know, people were, you know, be it, be it various, you know, movie professionals or, you know, critics or whatever were, were kind of poo-pooing saying, look, no, 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 the reshoots, this happens with every movie, which is true. Almost every movie has reshoots. It's contractually obligated. That happens all the time. Okay. Uh, you know, there's nothing to worry about here. I don't think that there's a problem. You know, I, everything's fine. Don't worry about it. That was kind of what people were saying. I always felt that that was, and they were, and they would make fun of people that, that said that there's a problem with the reshoots, that the reshoots are saying that Disney is, is getting in and they don't, they didn't like the movie that they were handed. Um, I, I was a little annoyed that people were, were, I mean, getting downright insulting with people concerned about the reshoots and that they were just kind of writing them off because you know, it's not like people were just complaining about the fact that there are reshoots. The concern was, is that the rumor was that Disney didn't like the tone, that it was, there was something wrong with it. It was too dark or something like that. And that the movie wasn't working for them and that they were going to Disney-fy it. And I think you kind of got that. Like I, I, there's parts of me that feels like Disney got its hands in and said, Oh, we gotta, you know, we gotta lighten this up or, you know, we can't let it go this direction or we can't let it do this. Now, my evidence for a lot of this, there's, there's quite a bit, is that we got a very different movie than what was originally filmed and planned. Um, my evidence is this, is that, first off, when you watch, there's three major trailers for, uh, for Rogue One, okay? There was the initial one that came out uh, like over the summer, I guess. Then there was the other one that we got, I think, in September. And then there was the one we got at, at the end of October, beginning of November, Okay. And I mean, then there was a bunch of little trailers too, but there was three major trailers that we got in the first trailer, Jen Urso. Okay. Played by, played by Felicity Jones, which she did a great job. Was this really like, like sarcastic, uh, uh, you know, very confident. Like she gives that whole, I rebel thing. You know, it's like you're a bunch of rebels, aren't you? I rebel, you know, like, like she was really like a badass. You felt like there was this real badass character being delivered there. And I thought that that was cool. Yeah. Especially for a female lead. I think that's wonderful. In fact, there's a story I've got to get to about the alt-right and rogue one. I don't even know if I'm going to be able to get to the, <laughs> I could have done this whole episode as a review. Maybe I'll do it for Patreon content. Um, because a lot of people are saying, oh, this movie's feminist propaganda and all that. Uh, I think there was a point where, which I mean, Honestly, so what? Even if it was, who gives a shit? <laughs> well, you don't like that there's a female lead? Please give me more. Oh, <laughs> I like this is the one thing you can give D Disney a lot of credit for, right? They have, you know, they have quadrupled the female population of the Star Wars universe inside of three years. Good. We always wanted more women in Star Wars. Please give us more women in Star Wars. These idiots complaining as feminist propaganda, you know, <laughs> just, just go, go away. <laughs> you're, you're ruining it for the people that it actually matters to, you know, that being the super fans and whatever else. Uh, but regardless, I, I could say a lot more nasty words, but, um, but I'll, I'll withhold from that. I want to get to my point. Okay. So the tone within which Felicity Jones was delivering the character of Jenner. So in that first trailer was and I knew this beforehand, and I think I mentioned this in some Patreon episodes, that 
I was a little concerned because I felt like, like at first she's talking like very confidently, you know, in a very badass tone, you know, lots of sarcasm and all this. Like even when she says, when, like even I think it might have been the second trailer where she's like, may the force be with us. Like she said it like it was like it was almost a pejorative, like it was just a lot, a lot, a lot of heat in the way she said it. And now she says it like, oh, may the force be with us. You know, like, like they, they tone her character way down or even like, we have to go find my father. Like it turned into, you know, we have to find my father. We have to save him. Like it turned into a very desperate and shaky voice. So I think that they significantly changed, um, you know, a, a lot about this film and that a lot of the reshoots were Felicity Jones reenacting her character. And now my evidence for a lot of this, you know, now, now first off, why would they, why would they redo that? Well, there is the argument that there is the big, the big argument against the force awakens that the character of Ray played by Daisy Ridley, of course, was a, what they call a Mary Jane. It was a character that could just do everything. It was just so awesome. And that they were overcompensating because it was a woman and they wanted to make her this really badass character that could do anything. Okay. Um, or Mary Sue, sorry, not a Mary Jane, <laughs> Mary Sue. And, and I could believe that they were concerned that they were going to have another Mary Sue on their hands. You know, the Disney was with Felicity Jones, who was just going to be this badass character that could do anything. And so they toned her down to make her a little more frail. I could believe it. Uh, I mean, and honestly, look, it didn't stop shit. You know, you still have people, you know, you still have the alt-right complaining about it. You still have all these other people saying it's propaganda for women and blah, 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 which I mean, oh, how terrible that there's propaganda for women. Oh, geez. We don't want that. Do we? Oh, please give me more. Um, women are wonderful. So, <laughs> but, but anyway, so I think that that might've, that might've played a part in it, or maybe they didn't want to have a, you know, maybe Disney just didn't want a female character that was just that bad ass, you know, and didn't have kind of the, the joking and smiling attitude that say, uh, Daisy Ridley would still pull off with the character of Ray. Right. So I think it was very different as far as that goes. Now, there, so a lot of the scenes that we know from the trailers weren't even in the film. Okay. And that also lends to the idea that, um, you know, that there was, uh, you know, that the reshoots were really extensive and that we ended up with a very different film than we were getting from the tone of the very first trailer. Okay. Uh, and before I mention that, I also want to say the other piece of evidence is that Felicity Jones, perhaps more so than any of the other actors, we do know how much she got paid and it is in the seven figures. Like she was highly, highly paid and she probably made, and my guess is she got paid the seven figures because the way her character was being portrayed got completely redone and she had to effectively reenact the entire movie. Like, I mean, that, that's, that's kind of my theory on that. Also, there's that, there's that idea that in her contract, she actually had a contractual obligation for another film. Um, I mean, is there the chance that somehow she survived what the Death Star did, uh, to the planet Scarif? I don't think so, but, <laughs> but, but maybe, you know, or maybe, I don't know what they're, what they're going to do with that, but I mean, that could just be, you know, like, yeah, just in case we need you for another film, or if you're going to do a flashback sequence or something, we, we kind of want you here. Uh, and Hey, there you go. Uh, so I, I don't put much, much stock in that, but the amount of money that she made compared to the rest of the actors. Yeah. I think there might be something, uh, you know, to say to that now, as far as like, like the, I rebel line isn't in there. Um, there's a few others. The the big scene that wasn't in there uh, that I think a lot of people thought was really badass that was in or that you saw in the trailers but didn't end up in the movie was when she is going on the catwalk on this catwalk and a tie fighter comes up. Okay, and she's like facing down this tie fighter. 
Uh, that was not in the film. And apparently what happened is, is effectively they just kind of removed it. Okay. And they just kind of redid the, the scene a little bit, the timing of the scene a little bit, because what, what happens is, is supposedly now this is backed up by the audiobook, even though the audiobook you know, could have been edited up to the last minute. A lot of this movie was being made up to the last minute. That's a key point to, to keep in mind here is that's how much they were concerned about what this film was parlaying, portraying and putting out there is that it was, I mean, the, of course the original star Wars, you know, episode four back in 77 was also being edited up until like the day that it got sent off to the very first theater in May of 1977. So not outlandish for a star Wars film, certainly. Okay. But this one was, was, I, I think, you know, like really extensively being recut. Uh, so anyway, so this, so supposedly the reason that TIE fighter scene got taken out was because what was going to happen is this TIE fighter would show up and an X-wing would swoop in, blow it up and move on. Okay. And then, you know, Jin would finish up what she was doing about sending the plans to the rebel fleet above, uh, on Scarif. And now in the book, in, in the book, in the novelization of, of Rogue One, that is exactly what happens. Like they still leave in that the TIE fighter comes up and then X wing, X wing shoots it down. The claim that they took it out of the movie is because, um, like there was already just a scene before that where it would just, it would have been too much, too repetitive for another X wing to blow up another TIE fighter throughout the whole thing. I think that's kind of ridiculous. Uh, but that, that is, that is the claim. And like I said, in the, in the audiobook and the, the novelization, it's that scene is still there. Uh, you know, where, where the TIE fighter kind of shows up. So that, that's kind of the mystery around that. But again, it does all lead to that. This was meant to be a very, very different film. Personally, I would believe that that scene, maybe originally like Jin was going to do something so badass that would take out that TIE fighter. Um, and, and, and they, they just took that scene out because again, they didn't want, uh, Jin Erso to be a Mary Sue, uh, you know, another Mary Sue character, which even if it was, I don't care, let it be, <laughs> you know? So, uh, there's other things too, like in the, uh, in the audiobook itself, you get more of Jin Erso being this very confident, badass character, which does not portray itself on screen. Not that Felicity Jones did a bad job. She's a great actress. She did, she did awesome. Okay. But the tone of the, of even the novelization is significantly different from, I mean, you could say it's book to movie, but, but it's significantly different from, from, you know, what you ended up with, uh, in, in the film itself. Uh, so I don't. Yeah. So I, I really have the sense that there was, there is an incredibly different version of this film out there. Maybe one day we'll get to see that. Uh, but it's out there and it's probably a much better film too, even though this film is great. Uh, but I think that a lot of, so I, I was, you know, I've, I've been claiming for a while on Sovereign Tech, I've been saying into friends, I've been saying that there's the potential that this could be the greatest Star Wars movie of all time. I think somewhere in this movie is the greatest star Wars movie of all time, but that got left on the cutting room floor. I mean, it's still a great one. I, after I watch it a couple times, I might even put it right under like return and empire. Like I, I could see this being my number three. Uh, so in fact, right now I'll probably rank it at number three, as far as being the best. It did what I wanted it to do. I think it does enhance greatly episode four. Uh, you know, in a, in a big, big way. Uh, so, that, you know, that, that's a huge plus. I think that's wonderful. Um, yeah. I mean, there's just, there's so much star Wars goodness in this. There's so much fan service in this. 
and, and I, I, you know, I want to touch on, on some of that too. Uh, like one of the really cool things was, uh, boy, I'll tell you, was, <laughs> this was awesome was Vader's castle. And then I got to talk about the ending. We're going to go into a little bit of overtime here probably. Okay. But one of the cool things was Vader's castle, which not a new idea in that there's a point where, where Krennic, the character of Krennic goes to, which he did fine, by the way. I know some people are complaining that he wasn't like a baddie. He wasn't enough of a villain, but he was a villain dealing with other villains, that being Vader and Tarkin. So he did a good job of, of playing kind of the foil to, to both of them. I thought he was, I thought he was fantastic. Uh, though, even if you read Catalyst and even if you read the Rogue One novel, you get a lot more of Krennic and a lot more of his brilliance. Like in the audio, in the novel of, of Rogue One, not Catalyst, but of the actual movie Rogue One, uh, there's a point where he says, he's thinking to himself and he says, he says, wow, he says, what's going on here? He says, my, my feeling has always been that if, how does he put it? He says something to the effect of if the, if, if the battle has started, then something has already gone wrong. Like saying that you should never have to go to war. Like, like you, you're fucking it up if you have to actually fight. Uh, and I, I thought that was like a really cool comment and like definitely leads into how this character thinks in all this. Uh, so the book really fleshes out Krennic a lot and, and you definitely appreciate him a lot more um, when you, both books, Catalyst and the novelization, uh, you know, do that. So anyway, but Darth Vader's castle, that was great. And yes, it is on Mustafar. If you were wondering what planet is that on, it is Mustafar. Now, the idea of Vader having a castle is not new in like Ralph McQuarrie did uh, concept art for empire strikes back where they would have shown off a castle for Vader. Um, of course it was more like on a, a, well, Mustafar, as you saw it in the movie was kind of a desert planet. So it fit there. So they went with kind of McQuarrie's sketch. They just happened to put it onto, onto Mustafar. Uh, but Vader also had, there was uh, what was it called? Bast castle in the old expanded universe, not the new canon, uh, where it, which was on the planet of June. And you know, like this was, like the castle had like its own turbo laser and all that shit. I mean, like it was, it was really badass, uh, but very similar in concept where there was like a volcano, like there's lava around and all this, uh, you know, it was a really, really cool idea. So when I saw the incident, cause they didn't tell you, they didn't want you to know what it was and which was unique in the movie, because in the movie, every time they go to a different planet, they would tell you what the planet was underneath, which was also that's very new for a star Wars movie. Uh, and, and I think that it actually lends to some problems with storytelling because star Wars has never needed to do that before. Uh, you know, you always had a really good idea of what planet you were going to, no matter how many planets you went to. And yeah, I, I well, uh, I don't want to get stuck on that just yet. So anyway, Vader's castle, you know, they don't tell you what planet it is and, and they kind of leave it open in the novelization. It is very clear that it's Mustafar and other people have confirmed that already. Uh, but as soon as they showed the castle and lava coming out of it, I instantly, like I turned to Stephanie and I said, Oh my God, it's Vader's castle. <laughs> you know? And I thought that that was great. What a great plot point. Uh, and, and, and that was, so, you know, hopefully we can get more explorations of that, but that was really, really cool to see that. Of course, it's not on Vajun again, it's on, uh, on Mustafar. Uh, I thought that that was awesome. Um, there's a lot to explore as far as that goes, and I'm sure it will get explored in future whatevers, you know, movies, comics, uh, you know, you kind of name it, even though the Darth Vader comic has, has kind of ended, uh, but I, or has ended and, uh, not, not a bad little run, but, uh, but that was, that was really cool, uh, to see that, um, in it. And, and again, also, you know, Vader's castle, I mean, that wasn't even, they originally planned there's concept art for the force awakens for episode seven that had Vader's castle in it. So you might see that come back in like episode eight or even episode nine, like that might be a big part of it because it was originally supposed to be part of the force awakens. Uh, so that was cool to get an introduction 
uh, you know, to, to that in this movie. That's what I'm saying is that I think in the future, this movie rogue one is going to make a lot more sense and is going to have a lot more, uh, like is going to have a lot more weight as more movies and more things come out, um, over time. So that was really nice. Uh, I, you know, some of the things I wanted that actually weren't in the movie, and then I'm going to get into like some of the, some of the Easter eggs that were in it. Um, I really wanted, I would, I wouldn't have, have complained if, and maybe they're, they're saving this for Star Wars Rebels. Um, but I wouldn't have complained if you got to see how they acquired the X-Wings in this, like that, that would have been a, a fun, a fun plot device to go over, uh, that they, that they, they just didn't do, but whatever. Because like when you read the, when you read the book, Mon Mothma, which that's the other thing, there wasn't enough Mon Mothma in this movie. I wanted a lot more. And there was probably a lot of scenes with her. In fact, we know there are other scenes. Um, but again, in changing tone, they put him on the cutting room floor. Um, you know, I, I really would have enjoyed seeing more of her, but in the book, she talks about the importance of the X-Wings and all that. Like, like, you know, wow, without them, we wouldn't be much of anything. Uh, so maybe they'll save that for rebels. I don't know. Uh, the other thing I wanted really that this film didn't get into, um, was, was Alderaan. I was really hoping to see a lot more Alderaan in this movie and we didn't even get any of it. I mean, we got to see Bail Organa, which was great though. We already knew cause there was that, that photo leaked where, where it showed, Bail, uh, you know, it showed Jimmy Smith's in it. Uh, but yeah, I, I would have loved a lot more Alderaan again. And, and I would have loved a lot more explanation on a lot of things, Jetta and all that. Again, there's probably going to be kind of a Knights of the old Republic series made at some point, I would imagine, uh, be it CGI or, you know, live action that will, talk a lot more about Alderaan and Jetta. I, I would, I would imagine um, in, in the future here. So, you know, all, all that's, all that's kind of coming on the way, but speaking of Jetta, I just want to mention some of the Easter eggs that were there. Uh, kind of the first one was you got to see from a new hope. You got to see uh, Dr. Evazan and Baba, which were the guys that get in the argument on the most likely cantina with Luke and Obi-Wan and Obi-Wan ends up slashing them down. Effectively, uh, they, they bump into, uh, <laughs> into Jin, uh, you know, and, and, or Jin bumps right into Dr. Evazan and, you know, it's the guy that you'll be dead. You know, that guy bumps right into him and, and, uh, and Baba's right next to him. So that was a nice little touch, uh, seeing, seeing red leader and gold leader during the space battle above Seraph, uh, Scarif was the, that was, that was really cool. <laughs> like that was, I mean, like, Okay, so it wasn't necessary, and I did feel like it kind of pulled me out of it because you knew. So first off, you could hear like before they even showed Red Leader and Gold Leader, you know, in their X wings or in their Y wing, um, respectively. They you heard dialogue, you know, you you heard battle chatter, you know, com chatter, and I was like, wait a minute, I know that voice. They're using voices from A New Hope, you know, for these guys, and then finally you you show them, but like they, it sort of took you out. Like it looked really different when they, when they took a shot from, you know, of gold leader or red leader from a new hope, um, in it, you know, to see, you know, to, 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 to show them off. I mean, it was cool. I would have done it. I'd do it in a heartbeat. You know, I don't have a problem with that. And in fact, John Knoll, who was behind largely writing and, and quite a bit of this movie, it seems, uh, John Knoll is the guy that did a lot of the, uh, CGI updating, on the special editions of the original Star Wars trilogy. In fact, during the Battle of Yavin from A New Hope, he inserted himself into, you know, into one of the X-Wings. And so for him to want to, like, try and include more about the Battle of Yavin, yeah, I could see that. In fact, I wouldn't be shocked if he slapped himself in one more time, you know, in one of those X-Wings, <laughs> and you just didn't realize it was him. Uh, but, 
yeah, so so that that was fine. That was kind of cool to sort of get that continuation. Of course, ultimately we know both Gold Leader and Red Leader are going to die. Uh, it is interesting that Red Five is in this movie, but it's not Luke Skywalker. Of course, Red Five was was Luke Skywalker's uh, you know call sign in uh, in A New Hope. Um, he dies. He's the one that that crashes into the shield as as it closes back up. So that's why Luke comes in and oh yeah, you can be Red Five because we lost Red Five in our last little uh, skirmish. Uh, so so that that made sense, um, which also lends to that. A lot, some, some of that fleet that is attacking, uh, you know, over the planet at the end there gets away, not just the Tanta V4. And by the way, it is, as far as I know, by all audiobooks that I've heard it mentioned in, it's not Tanta V4, which is what I thought it was always pronounced as. It's Tanta V4. So the Tanta V4 gets away. And that, I, I definitely, you know, why don't, why don't we end, or, well, okay, before I end with the ending, which has to do with the Tanta V4, I kind of gave that, well, you're, you saw the movie. I'm not giving anything away. But it was really cool that in that Rebel fleet that we were just talking about, the ghost was there from Star Wars Rebels, the old uh, VCX-100. As far as I know, that is confirmed, that that is absolutely the ghost. And also, you get to see Chopper on the Rebel base, which is the, you know, the R2, or, well, it's not an R2 unit, but effectively the the, the droid, the astromech droid uh, from Rebels. Uh, you get to see him, which I thought was a, a nice uh, nice touch. And then there is a mention on, on Yavin 4, on the Rebel base, there is the mention of General Syndulla which is a question whether or not it was Cham or if it was uh, Hera. Of course, Cham is, is Hera's dad, uh, you know, both from Ryloth. And I'm going to guess it was Hera just based upon like kind of how the, the movie is portraying the Rebel Alliance as being sort of a splintered thing. And Cham Sundula would be off doing his own thing. So I don't think General Sundula would have been Cham there. Uh, so that, that's, that's cool. And this does take place at some period after Star Wars Rebels, or at least the Rebels that we've seen so far. Uh, so that was nice. Of course, R2-D2 and C-3PO are there. Uh, Vader's castle uh, we mentioned. And of course, there's the mention of Obi-Wan. Um, some people talk about how there's there like one of the codes was of Black Saber. And some people wonder if that's a reference to the Dark Saber. Uh, I don't think so. The Dark Saber is this is this like ancient evil lightsaber. It's a long story that I won't go into uh, right now. Uh, you do get to see the blue milk in the film. Yeah, uh, you know that that was cool at the very beginning when Jin is is a is a child. Uh, you do get to see that. So anyway, lots of little Easter eggs in there, and I'm sure there's there's plenty more that I'll notice as as I as I go on. Um, but getting all the rebels stuff in there was really cool. In fact, you see the ghost a few times, uh, and and I thought that that was just a nice touch, you know, to mix that in. So which again leads to the fact that look, if you're a Star Wars super fan. There is a lot to take in here, and there's a lot of things that, like, it's really cool to finally see, uh, you know, in action. Like the Hammerhead ships, or the Hammerhead cruisers, right? Now, these were things that were originally from Knights of the Old Republic, which makes me also think that, yeah, we're going to see a lot of things get fleshed out with Knights of the Old Republic, because they're obviously looking in that direction. Uh, the Hammerhead cruisers, well, first off, those came from, and that's the one that pushes, that rams into the Star Destroyer, and then jams that Star Destroyer into the other Star Destroyer, which is fucking badass. <laughs> i tell you, that space battle was so good. Um, but the hammerhead cruiser. Okay. It was originally, I think it was designed for West end games. Like it was a role-playing thing, which is great that that, that became a thing, but then it got used in Knights of the old Republic in the comic book for the Sith war with XR Kuhn and, you know, Ula Keldroma when they're working with the Mandalorians and all that, uh, you know, it's used in that, but all that's not Canon anymore. So, but it did get used in season two of rebels in the episode with princess Leia, which is one of my favorite episodes because as it stands right now, princess Leia is probably my favorite. I mean, since the force awakens really, and maybe a little bit before, um, princess Leia has probably become my favorite character in the whole saga. She's, she's just so cool. 
so anyway, the Hammerheads, you know, they were that was kind of the plot of that one episode with Princess Leia in Star Wars Rebels was stealing these Hammerhead cruisers. And so to use them finally. Awesome. Great. Good. You know, that was that was perfect. That was just a, another another very, very nice touch. Um, and, and, all right. And so before I get to the ending and we'll talk about the ending and then we'll we'll wrap all this up. OK, uh, the character of um, Saw Gerrera. This is another one where it leads to my idea that there's a very different version of this movie out there with a very different tone, because the Saw Gerrera we got played by, of course, the great Forrest Whitaker was like, I mean, there was there was nothing special, nothing on it like it, it. He didn't have that intensity that you saw in the trailers. It just wasn't there. And what a shame. Uh I mean, maybe it was maybe it was a good thing. I don't know. Maybe they they didn't like how Forrest Whitaker was delivering stuff, but like that whole line of "What will you do when they break you? What will you become?" You know, like that that wasn't even in the movie. Like that was just that was gone. Uh, so Sagarera, I mean Sagarera, of course, is the character originally from the Clone Wars. There was a two parter, a two or three parter from one of the seasons of the Clone Wars that he was in, where he's this you know very young rebel and his sister dies and all that. Uh, but then also he gets mentioned in Bloodlines. Uh, you know, they talk about uh, what his group is called the Partisans. That was his rebel group, which is effectively what you see in uh, in Rogue One. Um, so that was, you know, Sagar, I mean, being in it, that that's OK. But like he really doesn't forward anything. And even in Catalyst, he's not really in the in the prequel novel for, for Rogue One. He's not in it to like the end. And so I, I don't know. I'm kind of wondering, like, what was the purpose of this? Like, it feels like the purpose of Sagar was removed. Yeah, you know, within whatever version of the film we ended up with that was in theaters, you know, that's in theaters right now. Uh, so yeah, I take it or leave it. You know, I, 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 it does, it just doesn't do anything for me. Uh, and I think it was meant to, and it, and it just doesn't. So, uh, that was, yeah, you know, whatever Sagarera. So now what really made this movie? Of course, the space battle made it, made everything. The second half of this film is fantastic. The first half of this movie, if you read the audiobook, is great. But you got to know everything that's going on. It's all moving so fast. You get no explanation about what all these places are that they're going to. As to where the book at least gives you a little something extra as to like, okay, why is this like in the middle of what appears to be an asteroid field? Why is this? Why is that? Okay. So like kind of the perfect movie would be if the first half was like the audio book and then the second half was like the movie because the book actually disappoints when you get towards the ending because it just doesn't display or describe as well. Um, you know, what exactly happens at the end. And this is where, in fact, it, at the end in the book, it's the epilogue, which is hilarious because I've had this complaint about the Star Wars movies that uh, or not, not the Star Wars movies, about the Star Wars books, that the books, you really don't have to read them except for the last chapter, like all the cool shit, anything that matters, anything that has any weight on the Star Wars universe at large always happens in the last chapter. This is also true with Rogue One, because the best part of this movie is the epilogue of the book and, of course, the last, you know, 10 whatever minutes of, of the movie itself. And that is is when a third Star Destroyer appears, uh, you know, against the Rebel fleet and Darth Vader enters the picture. And Darth Vader boards and Darth Vader just like there's this scene where he just goes nuts and he just wipes out like tons of these rebels, you know, with his lightsaber. You know, he's force throwing them, force choking them, slashing them all over the place. It was a just a badass scene. Even Stephanie was like, wow, that was awesome. Uh, I mean, and the music's good at that point, you know, all of that, all that just shines through uh, and it is really, really good. And then, you know, like he's kind of standing on the ledge, you know, sort of in the vacuum of space effectively, you know, looking down as the Tantive four 
escapes with the plans because one of the guys slides it through the door, you know, to another rebel soldier and they run away and they get away. Um, and which leads, so rogue one ends like literally minutes, you know, or minutes, if not hours, uh, before the opening of episode four, which is a great move. That, that was the right thing to do. I, I think that was, that was great. Uh, and what was, what's really great is that that one rebel that, that grabs the plans, you know, instantly on Tantive, on the Tantive four, runs up to someone in a white dress and hands it to her and camera pans around and there's Princess Leia looking. I mean, obviously it was the same thing they did, like I described earlier with Tarkin, where it is an actress there, but then they just, they superimposed, you know, a CGI uh, face of, of Carrie Fisher onto her. And, and she just gives the one line, you know, that they ask her like, what is this? And they said, and she says, hope. And it was, it was so good. Movie ends. Perfect perfect ending the ending of this movie made the whole thing really worth it it was so so great i mean there's there's so much to love about this movie the style everything about it it was really good i mean it's, it's a great star wars film it really is uh and and i i love it and i like i said i'm putting it right now i'm putting it at number three on my list so it goes my list number one return of the jedi number two empire strikes back number three rogue one is right underneath uh i mean it, it is it is that fucking good um so I'm just I'm bringing up a lot of this stuff because I don't think a lot of people are going to take the time, you know, to be willing to, to kind of lay out their critiques. Uh, I mean, it's a great movie, you know, but it, it, it admittedly has its issues. Uh, a lot of them having to do with if you're not a Star Wars super fan, you know, this movie doesn't isn't going to mean a whole lot. In fact, it's going to be downright confusing uh, and potentially even boring for you. So uh, now I want to take one last minute to talk about one of my favorite parts of any movie, and that is uh, the score. Okay, the soundtrack. So here's another thing where you get the idea that, ooh, this is a very different movie. Because, like, you know, just a couple months ago, or maybe it was like, I don't even think it was three months ago. Originally, you were going to have um, Alexander Desplat was going to be the, uh, the, the composer for, you know, for the, it wasn't going to be John Williams. We always knew that eventually John Williams does have to stop as, as sad as it is for me to admit as well. But Alexander Desplat was originally going to be composing this. And as far as we know, he might've done a full score. I'd love to eventually hear that. But then, you know, on the 11th hour and with only three weeks to compose an entirely new score for a star Wars movie, they drop him and they call up Michael Giacchino, who is one of my favorite. He is the great, as far as new blood, composers out there. He is the best. I've, I've sung his praises over and over again with what he does with Star Trek, with what he he did with Speed Racer. I mean, there's a, there's a laundry list of movies that he has just done amazing, amazing work with. And he's works with JJ Abrams all the time. So not a shock that he would get included, uh, you know, to, or he'd be first up. In fact, I really think he's going to end up being kind of heir apparent to John Williams as far as scoring Star Wars movies goes. Um, now I listened to the soundtrack before the movie came out. I thought the soundtrack was fantastic. Like I, I thought it was really no, without the movie standalone, it was really good. You can listen to it. It's exciting within the movie. A lot of people are complaining that it doesn't work. I thought it worked fine. I, and, and in fact, like some of the themes, especially the sweet versions, S U I T E, uh, on the, on the, the, the album itself of the soundtrack are really good. Like Jin's sweet and, and all that. Like, like, I mean, it's beautiful music new cues that could get used across the star Wars universe. Um, I think the complaint people really had isn't that Michael Giacchino did a bad job. I mean, most people admit, boy, it sucked that he only had three weeks. And I mean, it's amazing what he came out with. Okay. But 
the concern is, is that they should have been using, so there's so much Imperial stuff like they, in so much rebellion, they should have been using a lot of older John Williams cues of music. You know, a lot of, a lot of old samples of John Williams, like the Imperial March should have been played nonstop. Well, I'll tell you this. If you listen to the audiobook, they do use all that old music and it, maybe that's part of why the audiobook felt so good, you know, listening to it be, or, you know, cause you're picturing the action and you're getting that classic music, including the Imperial March quite a bit. Um, but yeah, I agree with them that I would have liked a lot more Imperial March in the movie, but I don't think that the music was a problem. And I thought, I think the soundtrack stands on its own is, is fantastic. It is a better soundtrack by a long shot than the force awakens. And really rogue one in every way, shape or form is eon superior to the force awakens. Like it is a much better star Wars film, uh, than the force awakens maybe could even dream of being, uh, I mean, it, it, it was, it is that good. Uh, and the music beats it. The, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the story around it beats it. Um, and within it, you know, it's really good, but again, you gotta be, you kind of gotta be that super fan, uh, to, to appreciate it. Anyway, I'm running way into overtime and I've got, whoo, I have places to be. Uh, so <laughs> I think I covered pretty much everything I, I wanted to talk about. I'm sure there's a lot more. I did have that article about the alt-right and, and star Wars. Maybe I'll save that for, um, I don't know. I'll save it for, for a Q and a or something for Patreon. Cause it got sent to me by somebody you know that i know is a patron so anyway there you go uh do do see it if you're a super fan do see it but do not get mad if somebody says what the fuck was that all about and don't think they're stupid this is a movie that did not explain itself well very very you know at all like it just did not explain itself uh and and i'm not saying it needed to i actually like the fact that you have to know your shit to see this and, and to really get all that's going on i like getting that payoff for being a super fan but you know, be respectful of people that aren't because I mean, so they'd have to consume so much content, I think, to get this. I mean, I think if, even if you're like a little more than a casual fan, you can still get what's going on and maybe you can enjoy it, but you really take this movie in when you're a super fan. And, and, and I personally, I, I love that. And, and I love the movie. Uh, I think it was fantastic. There's, there's so much to like about it, so much to enjoy a lot to critique you know, and I want to see one day, I want to see that other film. I want to see the real Rogue One. I really, I, I definitely think we ended up with a very different movie than we were getting sold in the trailers. And I'm just going to make this comment quick. Okay. Is that do trailers have to portray? I mean, do lots of movies do this where there's something in the trailers that's not actually in the movie? Of course it happened with the force awakens It happens with all kinds of films. There's no doubt about that. Okay. But this, that has to stop happening for, for a lot of reasons, especially with star Wars films, because people pick this stuff apart and, you know, I mean, like, like the trailer should be, star Wars should be able to stand on its own without doing a bunch of trickery in the trailers to get people on board with it. Um, and, oh, and the last thing, yes, K2SO is the best character in the movie that <laughs> everybody's already saying that. And it's, it's because it, God damn it. It's true. Uh, it, it's really something because a lot of the other characters admittedly, you have a hard time getting invested in, but, uh, if you read, you know, if you read catalyst, you get a lot more of that. And of course, if you read the, uh, the audiobook, you can, you can definitely get into a little more depth, uh, with some of the characters like, uh, you know, Donnie Yen's character was, was really cool and, and all that. And I mean, there's a lot of places that this is going to go. They're definitely Disney is really taking the time while the, while the veneer of, you know, new star Wars, while the sheen is still on, they are not the veneer <laughs> while the sheen is still there and fresh. They are definitely doing a lot of setup that people can look back on and I get it. And I think that's great, but I, I think, uh, it wears on the patience of people that aren't super fans. So, you know, and I just want to be empathetic to or sympathetic to that. 
Uh, so go see it. Great movie. I, I loved it. I, I mean, I absolutely loved it. I will be seeing it many times over and over and over again, just like I did with Force Awakens. I've seen that already more times than I can count. Uh, I will memorize it and I will start using quotes from it because there's some funny shit in it. Like when, well, I won't, never mind. I won't spoil at least that part if, if you still haven't seen it. Um, let's just say it has to do with hoods on the head. But <laughs> So that's enough for this week. That's enough Sovereign Tech. I went way into overtime. Uh, I'll see everybody on the other side. We'll get back to some more normal episodes here in the very near future. Like I said, see you on the other side. You just experienced Sovereign Tech. Go to SovereignTech.com, that's S-O-V-R-Y-N-Tech.com, and connect with us there. Find links from today's show and catch our podcast feed. Sovereign Tech is copy heart. Copying art is an act of love, and love is not subject to law. So please, share the show however you like. Welcome to the evolution.